All right. Welcome to the L1 PC. I'm Tom. I'm Dave. And it's me, Phil. This is a podcast about the hardcore punk scene in Liverpool and the surrounding areas from its inception in the 80s to wherever we are now. So get the kettle on, sit off while we chat to various people about bands, venues, charity scenes and all the other things that made up our colourful scene. Hello. Well, so uh, I want to just, uh, before we do anything else, give a shout out to uh, Connor who does Excitazine. Uh, it's a zine coming out from uh, around Liverpool and he's got an Instagram which I probably should have ready but he does this zine and he sort of it's a free zine and he just sort of reviews uh, music he's been listening to and it's just in, 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 the, in the days of fanzines that you know always looks like super not always but a lot of them look super professional and they're done really well because of the technology we've got at our fingertips um this guy's just putting this like cut and paste scene together just writing these enthusiastic reviews about music he, he wants other people to hear and uh and sends them out for free like i keep getting them in the post <laughs> you're not expecting it and then all of a sudden, just another another exciter zine turns up in the post. So if you look up um, at, it's just exciter fanzine. Uh, his name is Connor Gavin. Uh, go give him a show, and he does uh, playlists for every. I think it's for every zine. I think. Yeah, um, I mean, because you you got me onto him on the gram, so I was I started following him, and, and every so often he'll he'll put a little. A little playlist up and he'll, he'll it'll be like about a certain theme and it's just the, yeah. everything he writes about it's just got an energy and an enthusiasm yeah. and it's just like you just want you look from reading it you're like i've got to listen to these now because of what he is yeah. uh, because of what he said and it's it's sick it's it's really infectious and, and he's, he's just, such a nice lad when you like interact with him and that yeah yeah he's absolutely lovely and and he does this little thing at the end of each one he'll review an old compilation seven inch i think he mentioned in the first one he says uh, he's noticed that you don't see as many compilations seven inches about anymore. That's I've not really true, thought yeah. about it, but it's true, really. I, th- I think. Yeah. And uh, so he reviews old compilations seven inches, and uh, apart from that, it's all just new stuff that he's heard and he thinks it's amazing. And he's like, "You all need to hear this." So I'm going to write about it and send it to as many people as I can. That's keeping the spirit of, uh, of zines alive, brother. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's and it's not flashy. That's the thing. I don't mean that in a, as a diss. I mean that as it's uh, that's one of its charms. Because you know, like I said, we've got all this great uh, technology at our fingertips, and people are making all these really like magazine-looking zines, which is great and very nice to look at. But this is just you know the, as it comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's got. Well, it's, I think it's got. I think it looks really impressive. Like I think it's a really nice uh, way of doing it. But again. I, to, to me, I get what you're saying there. It's like it's not like one of these style over content things where everything you look at it's really nice and all that, and it but it's actually not actually saying anything. I think yeah. it's it's content with content, do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or style with content. Content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, get on, get on to him, get on to Connor, say hello. Also, yeah. um, want to give a shout out to No War from Liverpool. Yeah. We've yeah. all been sort of giving them quite a listen recently, haven't we? Yeah, well, I, I think I, I think I first noticed them, the release on Spotify about, I think it was, I think it was about this time last year actually, 
because um, I, I noticed during the lockdown it was because I used to go out for long walks with the dog and it just came like um, I think Daniel Booth had, had shared it so I was like yeah. oh, I've got to listen to them then um, and it's just sick it's just it's it's again it's yeah. young it's young lads um, well yeah. I don't know if they're all lads sorry um, young young people from um, from Liverpool uh, or Liverpool area and it's just it's just energy isn't it it's just boss and it's just yeah. really honest writing on some of the stuff and it's it's like fugazi-ish in parts and a bit discordant in parts and it's just yeah it just feels raw and honest i think dave you made the best comparison didn't you what was it you you compared them to oh yeah yeah um i i thought they sounded a bit like gallows and yeah, that kind of like, they kind of got that punk thing and it's like there's a bit of a swing to the way they play it's rather than yeah. just being like regimented punk playing there's a bit of a swing a bit of a swagger to how they play um but yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's the comparison I came up with. But uh, but yeah, I was really really impressed because it's it's kind of a different set of influences than other bands use yeah, kind yeah, of thing yeah. in the PC. Yeah, the, in the, in the yeah uh, good for them for, for going a different way. But yeah. no, like you said, they would, you know, it is. It's the, the lyrics are cool and it's good that there's young guys or young people out there doing something, you know, doing it, getting it done. There's a there's there's a there's a, a really short. Uh, it's classed as an instrumental on it. It's about how long is it? About forty seconds long, maybe? No. Yeah. No, it's like longer that. than that, isn't it? Oh, is it? Like a minute twenty, something like that. Yeah. And uh, and and the the singer just sort of talks over it, and um, it's about I think his his personal sort of mental struggles. That's what I take from it anyway. Yeah. And I, well, I was out having a walk uh, just recently, and I had to like stop. And uh, just like gather myself, you know, I was in like a public place, and I had to stop and gather myself because like it, it re- really sort of like hit me hard. Um, and it's not often like I think uh, writing does that to you. Um, so credit where credit's due to it. I think it's Tom, the singer, who writes the uh, uh, lyrics. So yeah. yeah, nice one, Tom, from nearly making me bawl my eyes out in public. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Anyway, so what have we got on uh, this this episode? It's Mark McGill, isn't it? It's the infamous Mark McGill. Mark um, uh, Mark McGill has been a staple um, for the Liverpool scene for uh, many, many years. Um, him and me actually came into the DIY like punk scene together. Um, uh, did our first band together, so it was quite a big personal one for me. Um, but he's done loads of bands. He's done uh, the Down and Outs. He was in SSS. Um, he did the No Marks. Um, Grandpa Sait. Yeah, drop out. Well, yeah, drop out. Um, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, he must be doing something. He's always in about five bands. Oh, he's still in Dad. The Down and Outs are still going, aren't they? Down and Outs are still going. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, who wants to talk about the uh, the competition? <laughs> right. So right. So not going to give nothing away here. But one of us, <laughs> one of us was doing a lot of late nights, um, and to fit in a lot of late nights at work. Sorry, a lot of double shifts and stuff like that. And to fit in with everyone's time, we had to do this quite late at night. And um, so obviously, you know the the cocoa was was made the lights were dim <laughs> it was nice and cozy <laughs> bit of five minutes it's soothing soothing voices <laughs> and um, yeah so, so you, yeah fond memories reminiscence so you might find that you might hear a little bit of snoring at some point 
but it's but it's not bored and snorting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's that not could a be our motto for the podcast: not boring snoring. <laughs> so yeah, just have a listen and and see if you can get involved if you want. Let us drop us a line and let us know. But if you um if you if you can guess the time, the point that uh, whoever it is uh, and the person, to, the time and the person, the, the time and the person. If you guess the time and the person. When they decide to uh, take a break, um, the people, the lovely people at Counterculture Records, have said you can uh, choose a release, one of their releases, uh, and you will win. You, yeah, you can win one of their releases of your choice. <laughs> yeah, because we so shout got... out to Cult- shout out to Counterculture Records as well. Yeah, shout out. yeah, definitely. They just dropped something else, haven't they? They, they dropped yeah, they have, not they? Australia, and then they dropped the decay stuff. Yeah, the Decay uh, tapes came out a while ago and then the T-shirts arrived just recently. I still need to uh, check that out. It's actually got Decay yeah, stuff. That's good. Yeah, the Decay T-shirt, it's really nice. It's just got, it's white with Decay and blue on the back. The Counterculture Records logo on the back with uh, Snoopy, Snoopy lying on top. Yeah. yeah, I've been wearing mine a lot. It's nice. Yeah. Right. So that's, I think that's that. Enjoy yeah. the episode and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. So, Mark, t- like, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I play music now and again when I have time, when life allows me to play a little bit of music. So I've been playing like in bands around Liverpool region for for as long as you've known me, Tom. I've been in bands yeah. with you, and that's probably been about, I don't know, 25 years plus. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be easy, easily yeah. 25 years. It's... Yep. It, so yeah, I've just been like playing in bands around here, done various bands, various degrees of success or whatever, or not not much success, but a little varying degrees of, and that's it really. I mean, I'm still playing. I've been playing since in bands since I was a kid really, and now I, it's just I still do it. You know, what I mean, you can't yeah. really we use it all the same. You just, you know, you're not giving up music so cause, just because you're you know your knees are going or it's slightly <laughs> harder to get out of bed. It's it, it's. You know, it's it's kind of like I don't know. It's just, it hasn't left. Just me, gets so you, still, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm still playing in bands now. Like I was still playing in bands then. I'm sure in like 20 years I'll still be playing in bands then. Like so. I think what the first you? time I met you was the first time I met Tom as well as you, when you was in. I think I was like 15. It was at um. Was it at the Policy of Three gig? Did you play that dropouts? No, we don't. We did karate. We did that. Yeah. Maybe it was that. That sounds like. I think it was a bit before then, but like I remember seeing you around then. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously like we, in dropouts and. Yeah, like we, uh, I, yeah, so yeah, me and Tom have made a, a bit of music. Long, it seems like a different a lifetime ago now, but it's like in well, some ways looking. it just seems like like yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, like I see Tom once in a blue moon, but one, like the good thing about like being involved with this kind of music and these kind of scenes that you don't see people for a long time. And then when you do see them, yeah. you just pick up, the, you pick up the conversation. So yeah. even though it, I, I can barely remember like a lot of stuff about all those kind of early days when I started oh. going to gigs and started like hanging out with Tom and that, in, in other ways, I'll, I'll, as I say, I'll see Tom and we'll just pick up that conversation like it was yesterday, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so what were you, what were you doing before, before you got into sort of punk what were you doing before like, then? Like, like, listen, and... in, like listening to music and stuff. Yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know, it all kind of, it's, I've tried thinking about this and trying to like, 
it all kind of melds into one. Like uh, I was into, you know, just kind of like basic heavy metal bands and stuff like that. But then at the same time, I was getting like drop fed like little bits of punk stuff. You know, as you, a lot of it's typical route one into punk, you know, yeah. getting into Misfits because Metallica covered them or whatever, or yeah. getting into Discharge because <laughs> Anthrax wear the shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, a lot of it is just, you know, very, very basic, same story as a lot of people kind of have. But then just little bits of other kinds of music just kind of, you know, kind of drop into your side. So at the same time of like being really into, I don't know, Iron Maiden and Marillion and kind of like straight ahead stuff, well, not straight ahead, but like stuff like that, you know, then like, you know, bits like Discharge kind of, you know, come into your sight or yeah. the Hard-Ons or, you know, GBH <laughs> or, you know, Fire Party or Electro Hippies or all these kind of bands <laughs> just somehow, and then everything, but at the same time, I was kind of like, you know, you get bits of, like John Zorn comes up and then you start like discovering like little bits of jazz and it's kind of like, there's lots of different kinds of music I was discovering at once. There was, yeah. It wasn't very linear. It wasn't like, you know, getting into heavier music and then graduating towards heavier and heavier music. It all seemed to be happening at the same time. So when I was getting into grindcore bands, I was listening to Pantera at the same time, you know what I mean? So yeah. it, was, it was just all like one big blob of music just seemed to be landing at, at once. And... But I was kind of drawn towards punk and then kind of melodic punk after that. But yeah. just punk music just stood out. As I, I listened to all these different kinds of music, there was just something about listening to punk which just seemed, I don't know, it just it's like more attainable, isn't it? When you listen to it, like, as I say, I was listening to Iron Maiden. They were like my favourite band. And then I was learning how to play in bands, learning how to play bass and stuff like that. But then you think, well, how do you go from that to emulating Iron Maiden on like some big stage with a big monster behind them and explosions like it yeah. just doesn't seem like it's it's not everyday life is it like it's not it's, it's, it's a different world yeah it's I mean it's it's great because it's just entertainment but it's a different world but then when yeah. you soon as you listen to like punk music you can understand like I'm like oh yeah I can play that you know I mean I could you know I couldn't work out how to play I don't know, Power Slave or something like that. But I, I remember working out how to play Dead Cities by The Exploited on the yeah. guitar. I was like, oh yeah, I can play a song from front to back. I can't play an Anthrax song all the way through, but I can play an Exploited song all the way through. So it just seemed like, you know, this is just something which I can I can do. It just seemed a bit more attainable and a bit more realistic. And Whereas a lot of those kind of metal bands that I loved just seemed like they were on a different planet, you know. But that's yeah. yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that like I made and stuff's just entertainment. I, I I think we probably all felt when we started making music, I don't want to just provide entertainment for someone. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And that's why punk it, it's 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 a lot more than that, isn't it? It's not yeah, just... I mean and that and the music that really like really sticks with you is it's more than it becomes more than entertainment, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you still love all those bands, which is, just, you know, you can like them for different reasons, but when a kind of song, when you can relate to it and when you, it speaks to you on a bit of a different level, then, I don't know, you, you can carry that with you for the rest of your life then, whereas yeah. certain other kinds, like all that kind of like, I mean, I, I don't want to slag off all that big heavy metal stuff because I love it all, it's daft, but yeah. it doesn't touch me in the same way as like listening to some, you know, punk band who, 
spill on the guts out about real things rather than yeah. like about like a war 100 yeah. years ago or a monster or whatever <laughs> or a serial killer or something exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. or a mythical serial ki- ki- yeah, serial that's it, killer yeah. who it's, travels it's, through time <laughs> Actually, that's now you've got me. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. A bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. That's my that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're talking about me. <laughs> but yeah, but that's it's, like it's, that's what punk and hardcore is, isn't it? You, it's all things that you felt yourself. It's all things that you you've been pissed off yourself with most of the time, and it, it just resonates with you, and you're just like, yeah, I'm pissed off about that too. Or yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's right. It is and just. Yeah. Especially when you're at like a, a kind of impressionable age, you, you yeah. want stuff like that, which can kind of, you know, you feel like it's talking to you, you know, you, and it's, uh, yeah. And then once it's, once it grabs hold of you, then you're in for life, I think. Yeah. And that's what I think you, you, cause you and me went, uh, it was when we got opened up by tapes, you were getting off Mark Croc and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like loads of that sort of like lookout style, like pop punk was just like mind blowing. Yeah, I mean it was, it was I that was a, a that was a great time for it as well, I think. I think it was just the perfect time for all that kind of melodic punk stuff was just about to take off. So there was yeah. like loads of great stuff available then, but then like I like the previous five years building up to that, there's all these amazing albums. Yeah, yeah. And like I mean, yeah, I, I got off like Marvin Crocodile God, I used to go around to his every Friday night and we played cards. I went to college with him. And then I'd just come armed with tapes and we just, you know, tape stuff. And then that that just happened. That was the way I discovered loads of bands is through, you know, taping sessions. I think we yeah, had them yeah. as well, Tom. And like we yeah, were, yeah. remember getting together with like Lee from Open Mind, him yeah, all yeah. going down to his, armed with tapes and <laughs> um, just having a full day of just like taping singles and LPs and stuff like that. And yeah, that yeah. was when, like for me at that point, I didn't really have a lot of money to go and, start buying loads of LPs so just having those like you know C90s and having people who will just load them up and do mixtapes and do compilations or as I say just invite you around and say yeah tape whatever you want it was always like so when was that about 93, 94 was it? probably like 94 yeah maybe I think I went to college then that's when I met Mark Mark Murphy from Crocodile God and they just put out their first 7 inch yeah, and, two days. Yeah, that's right. And like, so I bought it off me. And obviously I was like aware of DIY stuff. I knew bands were doing it themselves. That was the first time I'd seen like a band do it. You know, like he'd give me the seven inch and I'm putting it on the record play and I'm like, wow, this lad of this college course has, has made this. So we kind of, the penny dropped then, you know, from like knowing about DIY stuff to seeing it in action. It's like, wow, this is... This is amazing. I think I'd already known Tom at that point. We'd known Tom for yeah, a year yeah, too, probably. Yeah. And then, yeah, so that, like, at that point, that's probably just, just before kind of Green Day blew up and all that kind of stuff blew up. Yeah. There's just like loads of kind of bands just bubbling under the surface happening. So, yeah, we were just like obsessed with music and obsessed with finding new bands and new yeah. records and new albums and stuff Do like you know that. What that? Like, like on a different tip, then not different tips, I suppose. But um, do you think every generation has that like time period, or is it just because like it affected us that we look back and think like? Because you're right, like about ninety four, ninety five, there seems to be shitloads of like like guitar bands, like pop punk bands, um, hardcore bands, metal bands. They were all just coming out, and they were all like big, and they were all yeah, 
produce some like brilliant records, which it seems like people still love today. Like, do you think that's the same yeah, every generation, I'm sure, or I'm sure all the, the the new metal kids had bands that you know, before that blew up. There was all these you know stupid yeah. metal bands bubbling think, under. Yeah, I think it's hard. Like, cause when you when you look back at stuff, obviously you have like nostalgia is attached yeah. to all your experience so you always think you know it's not like it was when I in my day or you know yeah. you kind of but I'm sure as like Tom is saying there's, there's probably like you know, kids coming up through now who are having their own version of kind of like the music revelation that like we all went through but I do yeah. think that was a particular it was a good time particularly good, yeah it was a good time and I think like in terms like like punk and hardcore and stuff like that it, it's very cyclical it, you know it's there's always laws and then yeah. Yeah. it comes round again. There's always like when people start getting excited about about bands and, and stuff like that. Maybe there's usually a couple of bands that kick that off and it just comes around, you know what I mean? It gets quiet now and again. It gets good now and again. But, you know, I don't think it'll ever go away. I think pe- there's always going to be people who want to, you know, still pay four quid, probably in the year 3050. <laughs> Gigs will still be four quid. <laughs> Complaining and, when it's four yeah, pound fifty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. four fifty for twenty bands. But yeah, the uh, <laughs> as long as like there's like some kind of you know stinky back room of a pub somewhere, there'll yeah. be there'll be someone interested in seeing yeah. kind of like DIY punk bands. I, I don't think that'll ever go away. So then, so when did so withdraw? I feel stupid asking these questions because then so <laughs> dropout started. <laughs> Um, and go on, tell us about the start of that then. We was drop out your first band, by the way. No, I did some bands like before that. That was probably like the first band where, like, definitely the first band where they did like a record or maybe even any recording at all. And then first band where you know done any real gigs or played outside the city and stuff like that. So, but before that, like the first band that did was like. Um, was when I was learning how to play bass and it was I remember it was called Malicious Intent named after Napalm Death Song yeah and we were like doing kind of like we used to practice every Wednesday in school and we'd do these like kind of grind songs but we didn't really know what we'd doing but it was after I first heard Scum that first Napalm <laughs> record and it's like that just opened everything up so like I was saying before about like not really kind of understanding how to play like Iron Maiden songs or whatever when we first did that first Napalm record it was like wow this is something it, it just sounds like a racket we can I can do this we can do this yeah. so we did like our version of kind of like grind but we couldn't play you know we were all tuned to different notes and stuff like that and we had no <laughs> we were all starting and stopping at the wrong t- you know at different times and stuff like that so it was a mess but we were trying to emulate that kind of thing so that kind of opened up like being in a band and for me it's like wow yeah this is kind of kind of fun we can do this so it, was that it, was that the band with the lad with the ginger hair playing guitar no that was like that was just a straight up heavy metal cover band that was that got a picture of you love for some reason I've got <laughs> yeah. a photo of you guys practicing in school for some reason uh, ooh, I don't know why Chris was in that band as well but uh, that that uh, one with the uh, the ginger lad with the poodle pen now that was just a straight up <laughs> I'd forgotten about right. that band. That was a straight up like heavy metal cover band. I was doing so what that. was the set list? Oh, it was, it was like all your classics from about 91, 92 heavy metal. So we were doing like 
like Pantera stuff and Megadeth and like about four Metallica songs and stuff like that. <laughs> but I remember we, we we only played like one or two gigs, but I remember playing a gig. I think I had like a Dead Kennedy shirt on. And like everyone else just had like heavy metal shirts and like long hair and stuff like that. And one one of the guys there who was watching us, he was like, like how come you're how come you playing this kind of music? You look like you'd be like in a punk band or an hardcore band. I was like, oh. And then another penny dropped. It was like, oh yeah, I don't have to play in a heavy metal cover band. I can play. In a, <laughs> I, can, I can play in a band like making music that I, I want to play. It doesn't have to be like Megadeth covers. Yeah. And then I, I, it, I didn't really realize that until like. That fella said, "Like, what? How come you doing this?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I don't, I don't really know." <laughs> so then I tried. To, I was writing songs and trying to like start bands. And then me and Tom met up and we were doing some stuff. And then eventually we kind of like not doing it more seriously, but we were just doing it with like more of an aim to play more gigs. And we, we so we did uh, drop out and we were end up just being like a bit of a perennial support band for like loads yeah, of kind of yeah. yeah. bands in Liverpool. You know we played like Guinans and, and what have you like a billion times and yeah. we did end up doing a couple of seven inches um, and a few bits of bobs out, outside of the city and yeah. then it kind of like kind of fizzled out and uh, what it was but yeah that was kind of it was fun that was like the first kind of time of you know meeting up with people who were like minded and wanted to make similar kinds of music and just figuring out how to do it so that was kind of very formative and like, you know, trying to work out how do you make a melodic punk song and then so we were just kind of working working that um, out and it was it was good. I remember Tom, your your dad was great in that because like Tom's dad, like just he must have had infinite patience. He he recorded a couple of demos for us. God. Um yeah, which is like unbelievable now. It must have been like abysmal, like a totally <laughs> yeah. abysmal afternoon for him. Like but he was there and he was like really supportive and uh he, like you know, we came down with the four track and stuff like that, and we were just like making this like terrible racket. Do you remember the second one we recorded in Neil's, and we were yeah. in like in the bedroom, and he had to go out into like the hallway or downstairs or something to get like just a just a basic grasp of what was going on. Yeah, 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 dude. I think that might have been the better sounding one. It was. From what yeah. I remember, yeah. But like, yeah, maybe like it was. It, I always that always stuck with me with your dad being really kind of supportive and trying to like you know, encourages all to play music, even though he must have been listening to it and thinking, this is just garbage. <laughs> but he never said I, that. <laughs> you know what I remembered recently? Do you remember when we recorded the first demo with all those super basic songs on? And then yeah. one of the places you sent it to was, because you were really into that Ash, the first Ash 7-inch. Yeah, yeah. Finish. And do you remember you sent it to Ash and then about a week or two later, there was like an early live reviewing Kerrang and their set there's a picture of the set list and they must have just cut down all the song titles just like one words but all loads of the words <laughs> matched up to the words of the name oh of the yeah that, ri- that rings a bell yeah. and we were like Ash have ripped off all our songs Ash have had some kind of mental breakdown <laughs> real cry for help Rob, um, I see my girl off us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I remember that. Man, that's so yeah, that's Turns out he didn't. Wasn't there a girl well, in, Liverpool, in the Liverpool scene around then that used to reckon she was the girl that that song was about, the Ash song was about? Really? So is that Sarah, Irish Sarah? Yeah. Oh, was really? it Sarah or something? I'm sure she used to say that, that song's about Irish me. Irish Sarah, yeah. She goes, I, I, used oh. to, I used to go to school with them. And you, you're thinking, hmm... Small place island. <laughs> yeah, it's tiny. There's, there's only four people <laughs> that were born in that year. 
<laughs> so, but it was through Dropout then that we met like pretty much all the people that were sort of around at Liverpool at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, so like that that just meant we were Keita. going to gigs. Yeah, so there's like Keith and Amancy and Willem and all those yes. people who were involved in doing all those gigs in Garnons. Yeah. And like they I mean you should talk to Mouncy really because he 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 was involved with I was I'm always curious about how we how we got started. Obviously yeah, yeah. like all those guys came to university here and just decided to do stuff, but they they give it a real kickstart around yeah, here because yeah. I don't know whether anyone was using Garnons before they did, and they they just end up doing loads of stuff. And like, they seem to put everything on around then. Yeah, they? there was the there was all kinds, and it, and it was a real variation as well. So it wasn't just like like kind of a lot of the pop punk bands who were kind of like you know getting more and more popular at that time. There's a real yeah. kind of cross pollination, lots of mixed bills, lots of kind of like you know kind of really heavy hardcore mixed but like you know really melodic punk rock and then everything in between and it was a yeah they i think they deserve a lot of so i'm gonna burp here i'm just had a cup of tea with me excuse me yeah they i think yeah they deserve a lot of credit for a lot of the kind of good things that happened in liverpool because either they were putting gigs on or they kind of inspired people to do more stuff and you know um and do stuff using guidance and i think out of all the venues that have been knocking around in Liverpool over the years, because I think it's always been a bit of a problem at Liverpool, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. venues come and go, don't they? And, yeah. and then when there's no real venue, there ends up being like a real law book. I think Guinan's was kind of knocking around and having regular gigs. It must be about seven or eight years there was gigs there. Yeah. Probably yeah. up to about 2000 or something like that. And then when things maybe started moving over to the, the slaughterhouse at one point. But then yeah, yeah. the, uh, yeah, Keaton and Mouncey and Wilm and all them, they, I think they, they deserve a lot of credit because that was a really, really good time. I think there was there was a lot of gigs on. I think at one point there was like, you know, multiple gigs every week for yeah. like a couple of months there. And it just seemed like, you know, it was really creative time. And, and you know, there was a lot of kind of crap gigs on that, but there was a lot of really good gigs, a lot of really good times and stuff. <laughs> and plus, and plus Mouncy and um, Will were in on the class as well, weren't they together? It, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Well, uh, they they were a, a really you know great band, and that's kind of like you know a good example of the the mix. Yeah, that was going on. I mean, Dropout played with Underclass when we played with Pansy Division, so that's like yeah. a mix, good mix bill there. Pansy Division, Underclass, and Dropout, and Karate. It was, it was oh yeah, also yeah of course, yeah, and, yeah, uh, Karate. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's a there was like a you know, a, a really good mix of, of bands, especially on local bands. There was like a, a good little range there. You know, obviously like, I mean, even before you started playing with Withdrawn, like, like those lads were knocking around there in a few different various forms. And yeah. then, you know, there was just, it just seemed to be something for everyone. Like it was a that really Pansy good time. Di- that Pansy Division gig, is that the one where they had all the fairy lights around everything on the stage? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I think they awesome, did, yeah. That that was yeah. yeah, that was a belter. That was one of my favourites down there because I, I love that venue down there in Guinness. But there was a, a couple of really good gigs, but that one was particularly good. I think it was like summer '96, yeah. and um, really it was just scorching a nice vibe, day. Wasn't it? it was. It was a brilliant yeah. vibe, and it was um, yeah. That was that was one of my favourite gigs down there for sure. Like, but there was loads of them, loads of good gigs. Yeah. I wish I could remember like, them all. Mr T Experience, Snuff. Yeah, Snuff was uh, great. That was like. Ra- absolutely rammed down yeah. there in Guinness. That was a 
I didn't pay to get in. I still feel bad. I've, I confessed. <laughs> I confessed to Keita amounts of years later. Like that was the first gig round here. That was a fiver in. It's like a fiver to see a band. That's that's a lot. That but um, <laughs> the, I don't know whether they just put that that record out or it was about to come out, but it was a really good one. And uh, I remember walking down the stairs. I can barely remember anything from like that entire decade, but I can picture myself walking down the stairs. And for whatever reason, no one was on the door, so I walked in. And then, you know, that's when a fiver was a fiver. So, <laughs> but I felt bad ever since. So I had to, I had to confess a couple of years ago to Keita, and she wouldn't take the fiver. Is she still in Liverpool? No, she's moved yeah. around quite. A lot. I think she's down in London, London. at the minute. She's yeah, doing like comedy, she, isn't she? Yeah, she's like. She's always been like kind of into like performance. Uh, like yeah, when, yeah, yeah. when I did that college course with Mark from Crocodile God, she was doing like a dance course yeah. in like on and this was like Liverpool City Liverpool Community College on Smith Down Road, which is now a Tesco. Uh, and yeah, she was Tesco. I know she yeah, she ended up doing like some kind of performance or dance class and then she's kind of just gone off and she does like loads of kind of like real left field comedy performance stuff there's yeah. some on youtube in there uh, yeah 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 yeah. it's pretty good like it's it's pretty much like i you yeah. know she's always been a performer definitely because she did the bands as well as putting gigs on she did a few bands around here um, yeah, she did double day didn't she that's right but you did you play in double day for a bit <laughs> i played drums in double day for a bit right <laughs> and um like i could play i could play i could play basic drums but they had some sort of funny time signatures and stuff but i learned them all but never thought because we were always practicing in neil's um attic wasn't it? attic yeah and never it very hard or or, or quite lightly because it's in like just someone's house yeah and then the first gig we played it was double day hard to swallow <laughs> and um um <laughs> uh, was it carol or marker you know like one of the grandy bands from germany yeah and um, I, I remember playing, and remember the drummer from Hard to Swallow was just a beast, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. They all, they all played hard, like they all. And I, I remember him coming up to me while I was playing, and he went, he just, he just said, "Hit the drums." <laughs> like, okay, then. <laughs> well, he used to hit the drums, though, didn't he? He used to have yeah, fucking hell. on them. Yeah. I remember yeah. being at the one and twelve, and he threw this, he threw the snare drum at Lucky. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, there's there's another there's another good band. Like, I mean, I should be writing these down because just my memory for that. Well, my memory in general is is just not as good as what I thought it was, and you just forget about all these gigs and all these bands, really. So I'm just yeah. kind of at the minute I'm trying to delve in and remember, like, I'm making it like a you know a conscious effort to listen to new music at the minute, yeah. but also kind of reconnect with loads of these bands and albums. Well, that that's that's part of the reason we're doing this but for us personally is like we, we've all like gone up got massive like gaps in our in our knowledge and not knowledge our, what we remember back from the day so it's good to like talk about it but then also like you're saying it's not about what's gone in the past it's all about what's happening now so we're trying to it you know, is yeah you're right because otherwise it's, otherwise it just gets a bit sad really isn't it? like when yeah. you're just sitting around talking about you know what you did twenty years ago, which wasn't very important <laughs> at the time. Like, but it's all if you can try and like learn, a, you know, about some new bands going on. Because I'm always can I, I never know whether there's like not much happening around here, or whether there's lots yeah, of stuff happening. Don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah, just kind of out yeah. the loop because yeah. I'm yeah. not really pursuing it. So 
I mean, I'd like to try and find out more about if there's if there are some great punk bands from around here. So that's what I'm kind of I'm trying to make well, a bit more of an effort. That's one of the things we said from the beginning, isn't it? We don't want to just be like three old fellas getting on other old fellas who are just talking about you know the past. I'm going to try yeah. and. Uh, keep up the stuff but so after dropout you so let's go back to the past yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after dropout did uh well we did grandpa's eight didn't we that's right yeah I, I actually i was clearing out a room in my dad's have you day. got that demo well yeah i found that demo he had a cd because it's like a spare room in my dad's yeah it's like chock full of just just old stuff and like loads of stuff and there was some cds there i was like what's this and then it was that seed like the demo cd that we did when we we rented out um, that little room on Temple Street for like yeah, a few yeah, weeks. Yeah. yeah. And like I think it's like seven songs. So I found the CD. I haven't played it yet, but I found that. But yeah, so we did that because I was writing some stuff which was like slightly different tempo and stuff like that. So this is more like promise ring and stuff, aren't we? Yeah, I mean that was kind of like a lot of that stuff was coming through around that time, say like late nineties. Yeah. Like a lot of the kind of more straight up pop punk stuff was kind of definitely seen as a bit more old hat and that kind of indie rock and kind of emo pop kind of influence started kind of seeping through and that was definitely the the kind of music of the day that like you could see like a lot of those bands were kind of coming over here on tour and like over here like those kind of bands were, were popping up everyone like British bands started doing music influenced by all that and that was a bit like that but a little bit half hours because it was still probably a little bit too punky at times yeah, and then yeah. it was I'd never really I, I, I you know it was it never really settled on one kind of one kind of music but yeah we did we did that demo and then ended up doing seven inch and then we did an album and then that was the first band that did that was kind of touring around because we did never went to Europe and anything like that but we did a, quite a few like UK tours and so I got involved with booking that and then you start getting to that like cool thing of getting to know other people in different cities and you get making friends with instead of just making friends with the people in your city through music then you start making friends with people throughout the country because you're making music and you know obviously I, I was putting on gigs as well so I'd put on gigs for bands you know from different towns and they'd return the favour and stuff like that so we end up doing quite a few tours and you know getting up to Scotland and then down to Exeter and pretty much everywhere in between. So that, that was a that was like a really good good time and like met loads of people that you know I'm friends with today. I mean I'm I'm sure you guys are the same. Like when yeah. you when you're out and about and you you're going on tour or you, even if you you know you just kind of go into watch bands in different cities and you start making different friends, then like some of those friendships can kind of last forever, which is yeah. Which so how did you really. get these gigs then? Did you did you how did you get in touch with people from outside the city and and how did just, you just just by a, just by hustling a little bit? You know what I mean? It was like yeah. in the kind of early stages of the internet, so people were starting to put details up on there. So just so get we, a time the uh, the the Grumpus Eight the Seven Inch was in two thousand and the album Turn Up Your Stereo was in two thousand one. Yeah, that Wasn't sounds. It? I thought the Seven Inch might have been ninety nine, but if you say two that. I mean, well, this is just yeah, that sounds about right. It was all that kind of time period, so like 20 years ago, 21 years ago, yeah. and then, um, yeah, so probably like around 2001, 2002, we were doing like quite a lot of gigs and getting out about touring, but yeah, we just kind of like 
just try and hustle a little bit. And as yeah. I say, because I was putting gigs on, I was kind of in touch with bands that were touring or people that were booking gigs and just people that were traveling to gigs. So you just get to know a few more people and then you just have to kind of, you know, hustle a little bit and put, you know, just ask, can you do yeah. this gig for me? And you, you, start... you was just saying, do you want to come play it or can I come, can you book us yeah, a show out that, there? That, that kind of thing. And, you know, you do like, you know, just help each other out. I think the yeah. first gig we did out outside of Liverpool was with a band called 86. They put us on in Leeds and then that we ended up doing like a tour with those guys. That just became like a friendship there. And then there was like a, a Liverpool band called uh, uh, Dina, which was one of the guys who was in uh, a band called Category D who were playing like around oh, the yeah. mid-90s <laughs> doing that kind of like metally, metally hardcore kind of thing. Jed was like, was that Cassie D who had the um, the melody of all in the balls of helmet? That's it, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> the, the one and the same. Uh, they, remember, they they played with um, Sam I Am and Texas is the reason. Do you remember still. how gutted we were that they got that support? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't happy at all. But yeah, they were kind of entertaining what they did, Defo. But Jed went on to do that bandina, like a bit more melodic kind of indie punk kind of thing. So we ended up doing a, t- a couple of tours with those guys. So it was just all about just getting out there and asking people, can you do this? Can you do this on this date? And things just seem to fall into place in the yeah. way that they just don't seem to now when I'm trying to get a gig. And it, I think uh, it was just like, you know, good timing and stuff like that. And it's like a lot of people that were putting gigs on around the UK who just would put on a couple of UK bands for, you know, a very, very, I don't think there was any kind of guarantee, but, you know, there was kind of, you know, if as long as we got some money for petrol, then, then it was that was great that's all we we needed and so everything just seemed to to work out and we'd always at least break even you know like a lot of the time we're, we're like in a van and you I'm, again I'm sure you guys have done the same thing which I wouldn't dream of doing now where like you've got like three bands touring in a van and you just throw a, a couch in the back of the van yeah <laughs> all the gear yeah, yeah that's it so you got like everyone just rolling around with like martial <laughs> cabinets falling on their heads you know, you know, ten people in the back of a transit with a settee and stuff like that. Like, you know, there's no way I do that kind of kind of thing now. But that's just what you did. What had to be done. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was a really good time. But the, then that kind of like fizzled out. Oh, no, actually, we we ended up doing some gigs in America. Actually, that was kind of the is last gigs we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, with Grandpa say yeah. we could we did it. Booked a tour. I mean, this is a prime example of of doing like a, you know, scratching each other's back. I booked a tour over here for this American band from the Midwest called, uh, um, you know, well, I can't even remember what they're called. That's, that's bad now. Uh, but anyway. It wasn't Made to State. Was no, it wasn't. No. We did put Made to State on a few times, but this was a, a full tour and Grand State did the tour with them. Uh, Wish Upon a Star, they were called, like an emo band from like the Midwest. And we just got in, t- they got in touch with me through like the internet and stuff like that. And, we ended up getting chatting and then we're like, right, well, let's do a tour. So we did like about 10 gigs over here and then that band split up anyway. But then when they started a new band, this was like 2003, I think, they were like, well, you know, come over and play some gigs over here. So we, it, we, it was like more of a holiday really than like a serious tour, but we did probably about 10 gigs all right around the Midwest, you know, kind of like around Illinois and Minneapolis and Wisconsin and all that kind of stuff. And again, that's just, we put them on over here. They took care of us over there. 
And I still speak to some of those guys now, like nearly 20 years later. And that, that's again, just time out to, you know, making friendship and punk. That last that was. Forever. Was it was. It was, like it was playing over there. It was good. It was, it was like, it's just funny. You know what I mean? Like, it, like the big difference was like, I think out of all the gigs, only one of them was in like a bar situation. It was like in a university, like venue. Yeah. All the other gigs were like, you know, in basements, there were parties. I think we played, the first gig was in uh, like a Mexican restaurants and stuff like that. So it was all in, you know, you know, non-alcohol yeah. serving places, whereas obviously over here, most gigs are in the back room. Yeah. It all revolves around like a bar having to make some money so, you know, they can put on punk gigs in the back room or upstairs or whatever. So it was kind of like, you know, it was like a, a good change because, you know, it was just made a, a different kind of scene, like playing in someone's basement or playing in a party or whatever. It was kind of a, a, a bit more fun. So it was, yeah, I loved it. Like, I mean, it was... It, well, like, I've not been to America much, but the little bit I have, they don't seem to have the same bar culture as we have. It's, like, I think, yeah, maybe that, like, maybe the 21 uh, thing probably makes yeah, things... A, and people yeah. tend to go just to drink. Or yeah, watch the sports. These them seem to be like. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's a definitely it's like a, 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 a like a different way of doing things. You know, I think the fact that we all kind of speak sort of the same language, we always kind of forget that it's a can be a totally different culture out over yeah, there. Yeah. But the I remember, I remember we uh, one really strange thing is that every band seemed to bring their own drum kit to a gig really? like, you got like four bands and they've all got their own drum kits like what, what's going on here I, I didn't really understand it but that's like seemed to be the way they do it that was my major takeaway <laughs> from playing gigs in America was that but yeah, then we, we kind of got to a point where it was we ended up like I think we had more rehearsals in America than we did in, in the UK for about two years so we, it just kind of fizzled out but we we made a, a second album we, I rent, we rented this cottage out up in the Lake District, no, in in uh, uh, Peak District. Is and that we the stayed... one that just got released recently? Yeah, we, we I ended up finishing it. This was like maybe a year or two or something ago, because we we recorded this album. It was pretty much finished. It just needed like some little back and vocals and little bits of pieces finished, and then we just never bothered finishing it. We were just really lazy, and then like ten years later, I ended up, or maybe even twelve or thirteen years later, I ended up actually finishing it and then just sticking out online, and it was. You know the best thing we did actually. It sounded really, really good, but the uh, that again just kind of fizzled out. It just run its course. Everyone kind of <clears> had the like most bands. Ev everyone in the band is in other bands at the same time and stuff like that. And it just you know yeah, they were we, all in quite sort of uh, bands that were gigging quite a bit, weren't they? Like um, the drummer well, was in it, yeah, Louise was in Flamingo. Uh, three minute margin and Flamingo Fifty and Flamingo yeah. Fifty were were doing a lot at the time. Yeah. Um, so was... that's right, Tony was in touches. Um, so it was like there was Tony and Sonny, it dropped out of it. Uh, sorry, uh, Tokyo Adventures, uh, oh, right. uh, from the Whittle, really good, kind of like, um, kind of very much Weezery kind of yeah. influence kind of stuff. But yeah, Tony's like a really good songwriter. But and then that was kind of crossing over with me starting doing down and outs as well. So it was like yeah. we, we were all doing different things so i think things just seem to you know if you can go in make some music and then you know move on to something else i think that's kind of so like grand that was the football team that gary lineker played for wasn't it in, that's in right yeah 
that's that's right. Um, so why can't you have a Evertonian or are you Evertonian? Uh, no, I, I, no, we're. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think back to Grand State. Damn, I support Liverpool, oh. and the the base player <laughs> absolutely couldn't care any less about football. <laughs> And Tony was a Liverpool fan, so though there was no Everton or Gary Lineker connection going on. I, th- I think I just liked the sound of the name. Yeah, I think that's what I thought. That'd be kind of cool. That's a good name. So I always think that was a mad name for a football team because there's only eleven players. So why is it? Why is it? <laughs> I didn't. I, th- I looked into it once. I was like, "What's all that about?" But I couldn't get no tail of it. But went down and out. Played in Japan a couple of years ago. But we played in Nagoya, where Grandpa say play. Yeah. Uh, like there was a guy who came to one of the gigs and he had the Grandpa say football shirt on. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I used to do a band, and he was like, yeah, I know, I know. Like, like out there, the the kind of like love, like not very popular English punk bands. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I don't know why, but the there's like a few guys out there in Japan who've like who know loads about like. You know, bands from the Whittle. Yeah, it's, it's, who played ten gigs in like 1996? It's bananas. Like it's really Snuffy Smile label. Not Snuffy Smile. There was a, a fixing a hole. Like K, K who he booked the tour for in Japan, and K like just adores UK like melodic punk bands of the 90s. Yeah. He made. I have to find the website he did before we knew K. We found, we, yeah, there's this amazing website, and it's just all like. It's all in Japanese and it's just all dedicated to um, like Merseyside punk bands from like the 90s. And I think he's made like a family tree or something like that. It's just like if you're in Japan, that kind of stuff might be really cool and exotic. Just like when we look to a scene that's, you know, half yeah, the world yeah. away, yeah. which and you, you kind of like build it up in your own mind and you, you make it something that it probably isn't in your own mind. Yeah. And that's probably just his version of that. Because I yeah, found out recently that that uh, Snuffy Smile, they did one of those compilations, the best punk in Britain. Best punk in England, so yeah, yeah. Is Dropout are on one? Yeah, we were on the... Let Go, yeah. Because yeah. um, Sean Forbes from um, Hard Skin and Rough Trade and all that, he put that one together. And I remember I, I he, he wanted a song, so I sent him a dat. That kind of dates how long ago that was. <laughs> I sent him a dat tape. When I guess he must have had a dat player. And he chose the song, but yeah, we yeah, we were on on the second yeah. one of those compilations. But they were really good comps, I think. Um, I th- there's a lots of, like really good, like chopping uh, and broccoli. Yeah, chopping and broccoli. I remember um, uh, Frankie Stubbs' band after Leatherface, uh, Jesse. Oh yeah, there's a really good Jesse song on one of those comps. Um, and I think they did the Japanese version as well. Uh, an English label did like return the favour and did like a compilation right. of Japanese yeah, yeah. bands because you know, but. Uh, yeah, that was a good comp. Definitely, I have to find that. I've got, I've definitely got that on CD somewhere. Right, I'm going to write that down. This <laughs> is educational. This song. <laughs> so can we? So you're saying there's there's stuff out there for dropouts and there's stuff out there for Grandpa Eight. So can people like pick that up pretty easy? Is it on the big Spotify and no, that, like, YouTube and? There's it. Um, I should really put it up there. There's a there's a band camp for Grandpa Eight, which I yeah. think has actually only got the. That's only got that album. last album. Yeah, it's that album I was talking about where we did we didn't finish it for twelve years or whatever. It's only got that up, but at some point I'll probably stick everything up and I'll probably do the same with dropout just because I mean You can pick the dropout seven inches up for one pound fourteen and one pound on discogs. Excellent. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't save, save, save your sweet money, save that pocket money. money. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about stuff like that when you when you've made music and then you kind of you go on and and like a lot of that music is you know over twenty years old or whatever. And it's like from I don't know. It's like list looking at you know your teenage diaries or something like that. It's like yeah. it's hard to have a step removed. So you a lot of the stuff when I make music, I can get really into it at the time and then. At some point, maybe I'll listen back to it. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, that's awful. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, I tend not to listen back to stuff I do, except if I'm trying to like relearn a song or whatever. But f- for the most part, I, you know, I'll, I'll do that. Like it's hard to, it's hard to listen back to your yeah. own stuff. I think it's with and yeah. be objective. You know, you t- it, it all just sounds like garbage, really. But yeah, <laughs> I always think if, if I wrote it, I always listen to it and go, it just sounds too easy. It sounds too like simple. Oh, sounds too like um, GCSE level or something, and I mean, yeah. listen to someone else playing something. You're like, that's amazing. How did they imagine? How did they imagine to go to, from that chord to that chord? Why did you put that riff in? That's brilliant. I see. Oh, well, if, if you ever feel like that, just listen to those dropout seven inches, and you'll feel like <laughs> yeah. Malmsteen. <laughs> it is, but yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I think you you probably always just self critical when, when yeah, you kind of listen yeah. to your own stuff yeah. you know what I mean you could do stuff which as I say you might think is simple or whatever and then someone else doesn't have that baggage when they listen to it and think it's amazing or whatever but mm-hmm. yeah I mean yeah so I'll, I, some of that stuff is up online but not all of it but I think I'll probably just end up sticking it all up one day when I'm you know when I'm not feeling too lazy I'll do it <laughs> yeah because I turn up your stereo Grandpa say album I think's really good yeah, there's some, some good really bits good songs on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some good bits and pieces in that, but again, it's just hard to listen to stuff. You think, oh man, I wish yeah. I hadn't done that, or I wish I'd done something. I wish I'd tuned up. I wish I'd learned how to <laughs> sing, or I wish I'd, you know, it, it, there's always stuff you can kind of pick out. But I think it's you could probably do that forever. So sometimes it's just better to go. It's not really important. It, yeah. None of it. it yeah, it's not important <laughs> enough to to pick the bones out of it. So just I'll stick it up, and then I don't have to listen to it. If someone else wants to, they can do so. Yeah, I'll probably do that. But then after uh, that, you did downloads. Yeah, yeah, so that was there was a little bit of an overlap. I think just at like the arse end of doing um, Grand Pacific, because I think I remember when, as I was saying, we did those gigs in America, and I think that was two thousand and three. I remember in November 2003, I think, and Down and Out's first gig was in November 2003, if I remember right, or October, I can't, the fire's kicking around here somewhere. But uh, the, yeah, so there was just a little bit of a crossover there. And um, yeah, so we did, right at the end of 2003, we did our first gig, and then the first album came out in like summer, late summer 2004, I think, on Dead and Gone. Um, and then yes, that was a good couple because of years. You, you were right on that dead and gone wave, weren't you? That's right, yeah. Because we yeah, um, that, that was a good time. I feel like UK. It was. I, yeah. I, I think when we just when we started, I think that was just on the edge of like a real kind of upturn in kind of hardcore scene in particular. Yeah. And I think like a lot of that, like you know, the last chance. I think probably started taking things really seriously and started doing things really well, and then a lot of people just kind of, you know, jumped on board as well and started getting inspired by that, And I think. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so we, in Down and Out, we had uh, Kev and Sean, who were both in The Last Chance at the same oh. time. So I that's Kev, kinda, I didn't know Sean. Yeah, so, like, Sean, um, 
I've met Sean, like me and Kev were talking about doing a band, like a you know, a kind of a melodic street punk kind of band. And yeah. then uh, he just brought Sean over to Liverpool one day and uh, we just kind of hung out and you know, we all got on. It's like, yeah, let's do it. So then we, uh, yes, yeah, so we ended up doing the first gig. Uh, we played with One Man Army in the Slaughterhouse in Liverpool. Oh, that's and, right. That's, and it was, basically we only started because we wanted to play that gig because we were talking <laughs> about it loads. Me and Kev were like, yeah, we should do this. And we had some like, you know, he'd play me a few bits on guitar and stuff like, yeah, but, but we hadn't, we didn't have a band. It was just me and Kev talking about it. But it was just when this opportunity to play with One Man Army and we were like, we're all really, really into One Man Army at that point. We are like, oh man, we should play. We should do this band and play. And so we did, we just got it together. We got, we got Sean in, we got like Matt uh, played second guitar and like Matt went on to play in Hot Club de Paris and he played on the first record for us and we just basically just got it together. We had these songs and we used to go to Manchester. We'd rehearse there and Kev was working. Uh, I think he was working for Barclay Card. He was working at the call centre in Kirby. Um, in the evenings, he'd finish at 11. So I'd drive up to Kirby, pick Kev up at 11 and then we'd drive to Manchester to go to the Last Chances rehearsal room on like the outskirts of Manchester and then rehearse. So <laughs> whatever. The red house? Uh, God, that rings a bell. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. Um, stinky yeah, place. Yeah, it was kind of, it was a really sketchy little place. And uh, so yeah, we just, we practiced there like, you know, to the early hours of the morning. And I think we had like maybe five practices all together before our first gig and we managed just to get it together. I think we had seven songs we made a demo at the same time and we were just ready to go. And we also, we did a, I think we had six songs now, like a Cox Battle cover. And that's it. We were, then once, you, once you've done your first gig and you've got like X amount of songs, you're up and running. And then that, that was us done. So we started playing songs. And basically it was just to play that gig and do a demo. That's like the extent of the ambition. Just to write a few songs, play with One Man Army and record those songs. But then... Ian from Den Gone said, Oh, do you want to do an album? Like this was like pretty much straight away. I'm like, well, um, yeah. I'd really thought about it. And then that was it. So we wrote an album and it was really kind of really fun time because we were we ended up rehearsing at a you know a normal time of the day in Liverpool, uh, mm. instead of like rehearsing at four in the morning in Manchester. But then we were just writing songs and we there was like, every week there'd be a new song. And it was like, you know, when you're kind of in that really creative period when you're doing a yeah. band and it's really yeah. fun and everyone's got ideas and and that was it we were just on a roll so we did that and then we recorded that first album um and that was just all the songs that we had i think we had 14 songs on that record and we just again we went away to and for a week to a cottage that was up in the lakes recorded everything um in there and that was it we were ready so did to you go record then. it yourself then or was the yeah, was it, it some guy's studio up there it was just in a cottage like a just like a regular I guess this was like pre-Airbnb, but it was that yeah. kind of thing. You know, we, we just, you'd rent a holiday home on a farm for like a week. So I just found somewhere that was away from anyone else's house so we could load the gear in there and make music at any time we wanted. So we went up and there. That's the cover it, of the album, isn't it? Uh, actually, that cover is uh, in a, house, a terraced house in Wavertree. Oh, is we, it? Yeah, we shot that spe uh, specifically. Uh, we, we did that with uh, Paul Rafferty who was in Hot Club Yeah, um, he helped us out on that one he was like a bit of the art director on that record and so we got this terraced house I don't even know who it belonged to but we got the use of it 
And then we took all the gear down. This was me and Paul doing it, like loading it into my Ford Escort, like taking two trips in the practice room, loading all the gear into this terraced house, lighting it. He'd like made a stencil for the curtains with the logo on and stuff like that. And then he shot it and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, so we put in like a little, well, we, you know, he put in a bit of effort. I just drove some gear. But the actual cottage itself was just like a regular farm one. And we went up there ourselves and it was with our mate Andy Mason who's recorded like a lot of our records with us and he just helped out. And um, yeah, it was good. It was, you know, you'd, it was just a dead nice relaxed vibe where you kind of, you know, you'd have a lie in and you'd get up and go for a walk. The weather was amazing. So we'd go on these like little Enid Blyton adventures, hang out with the cows in the field and stuff like that and then come back, make a bit of music, go out, cook some food and in the evening we'd record some more and stuff like that so it was a it was like a really fun little party really like we had like a week there of just making this record so it was um it was good it was good fun probably like one of the most fun times we've had recording i think ever so you know you said on that cover the stencil is that is the down and out sprayed on like the neck yeah end? yeah it's a yeah so that's yeah that's actually physically sprayed on, no on, on the yeah that's it that's all the secrets are coming out here yeah never Art, artistic can I ask? Can I ask about the lyrics? Yeah. Um, I was just wondering who wrote them because that's one of the things that stuck out about I, the down and outs to me. I think is apart from the music being their catchy and stuff, the lyrics I always thought were quite evocative and quite wistful and stuff. You know, about the yeah. docks are empty now and 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 dull days and saveways and stuff. Just wondering, was it like a combined effort or was it one specific member of the band who was writing them? It's a bit of a mix on that. Like when Kev was in the band, like Kev played on the. F- on the excuse me, <clears throat> Kev played on the first uh, three records, and we've done mm. five records. So, on that, uh, on that, on the first record in particular, like there was a quite a broad split between me and Kev. We 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 were both doing lyrics. Like Kev wrote a few songs on his own, yeah, uh, and I wrote some songs on my own. And then s- some things we just kind of. Um, you know, collaborate on Dull Days and Saveways. That just came off. I think Kev came up with the title. I was like, right, that's a funny title. Yeah. And I, I think I wrote most of the lyrics to that, but it was all sprung from the title. Like, it wouldn't exist without Kev saying we should do a song called Dull Days and Saveways. That's a laugh. And I was like, right, yeah, let's do it. So it was used like a little bit of back and forth. And I mean, some of those lyrics were kind of thrown together just for a laugh. And like, I mean, some yes. of them aren't that good. Some of them are all right. Some of them aren't that good. But I remember we were like, I've got one of the memories of recording that record is like sitting there in the field, like hanging out with these cows with a pad, trying to come up with lyrics to one of the songs. We're like, well, we're recording this song in 20 minutes. (laughs) Right words from here. So we're sitting, yeah, that's it. So we're sitting there. I mean, let me just like wrote any old like nonsense or whatever, but it generally it it seems to kind of, you know, work out okay. People kind of like bought into that vibe of it. Yeah, I think I think most songs on that album have got like really good lines in it. Yeah, I think that's more than yeah, rather than good sets of lyrics, there's a few really strong lines. I think that's like a good way of putting it. Actually, there's a there's um yeah, lots of, like a few good kind of catchphrase kind of like vibes. That, really. um, Though our glory may fade, our hearts is it will stay the same. Or yeah, really yeah, fade. that's fucking brilliant. Well, that's good. Yeah. No, I've got no memory of doing that. I think I did that one, um, but no. It, I mean, I think that one was real. It, it does sound good, but it, it's also a lot of it is kind of meaningless. You know, if you break it, like 
Yeah. If you yeah. break a lot of these songs down, you think, hang on, that doesn't that doesn't really make that much sense, but it's more about trying to create shout a, that line back Yeah, that's it. That's it, and you're trying to create an overall overall atmosphere rather than yeah. like making things like make perfect sense. Yeah. It, it'd rather be total poetry. It's all about like getting a group of people in a room together and making them all like feel in a similar way. So it's just, you know, throw a few catchphrases yeah. in there and try and get everyone to feel like in that overall vibe. So that's probably like what we were going for on those first records, definitely. So it's, it's, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a mix between me and I don't think Matt did any. So yeah, it was probably just me and Kev back and forth, I think. Cool. Cool. So then from there, what were we doing for the, to the second one? So what, how so long were downloads together? Well, we, I think it's been still going on, yeah. Yeah, we're still we still kind of. Yeah. I mean, we haven't we haven't seen each other, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know about fifteen months. But we yeah we're still going. Like we we put the last record out in two thousand. You put that set that keep walking seven inch. I got that's right. We put that that seven inch out as well. Um, so we and we've still got a few like more unreleased songs as well. So we kind of got enough to keep us going. But then we've got an actual full album, pretty much finished. Just before kind of lockdown hit, um, we were working on an album. So we've got like, about, I don't know, about 15 songs there sitting on my hard drive, which I've been working on for the past year, which I just need Chris to put his bass on and then the other lads to put the vocals on. And it's finished. But obviously, because, you know, we haven't been able to stand yeah, right. two feet away from each other, singing in each other's face and like throwing punk jams all over each other. Uh, we haven't been able to do it. So we've got this, this like, did you just say punk germs? Yeah. <laughs> punk demic. You can use that one. Um, I just thought that was a good one. Uh, the, um, yeah, so yeah, we've got like an album that's like, oh, this, like our sixth album, which is like definitely not necessary. I don't think the world needs six down and outs album, but here we are. But yeah, we did that. That last one, I think, was 2019. 18. Uh, Eight, 18. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, 2018. And yeah, so it was still going. How long we can kind of keep going i don't know because you know we've all got like lives and stuff like that and it's hard to do do anything it's hard to do gigs and do tours and stuff like that but i don't know over the past couple of years we've just been doing little bits and bobs like we'll get off with really good stuff now and again so we'll just do some really fun stuff and we don't get off yeah. that much but now and again we'll get off with like really like just interesting fun stuff like we yeah. go to germany and stuff like that most years most summers we'll We'll do some, you know, weekenders or do some little trips in Germany. And obviously, we did the Japan thing and stuff like that. So that's it, sick. That's Japan. We just, yeah, Japan. it was good. So we just keep taking over and doing some fun stuff. Like we're not like a, like a really, you know, popular band in the slightest. We don't have much of a draw. We don't really sell many records, or we don't do loads of streams and stuff like that. But like every now and again, someone will get in touch and say, like, I really like these records. Let's, do you want to do this? And it's, yeah, we'll, we can give you this much money. Can you yeah. do it for that? I'm like, yeah, I'll figure it out and book some flights. I'm like, yeah, that works. Let's do it. And then we'll just go on these little adventures now and again. So it's as long as we can still do and keep doing stuff like that, I think we'll just keep taking over. I think but it's a funny place to sort of down out to it, isn't it? Because every album you haven't put out a dud album, every album's got like a good amount of really decent songs on, but uh, yeah, you always seem to sort of just fall under under the uh. Yeah, like we're not really. 
Yeah, we. I mean, some of it makes sense because I think bands that tend to do well and bands that are popular are usually that way for a reason. Like, they, they work hard. You know, like, bands will go out... Excuse me, I'm just going to bear again with it. Excuse me. Yeah, so bands will work hard. They'll go out there and they'll play gigs and they'll promote themselves yeah, and they'll yeah, do yeah. all that. And we've never really been like that. I mean, when we first started, we were playing, you know more gigs and we were doing some tours and stuff like that and we were a bit more proactive and we ended up getting a little bit of traction you know we get a little bit of like interest from like slightly bigger labels and stuff like that which never really came to fruition but we were getting like you know we had a little bit of juice for a, for a short amount of time and then you've got to kind of capitalize on that and be yeah you know you've got to be a think a bit more about promotion and you push yourself and that's not we're not really interested in that it's like kind of leaves me cold you know when you see yeah. bands who are really yeah, into yeah. you know it's they come out the box fully formed and the yeah. more it's it's more important to like you know have the logo done and have you know the merch have a koozie and a mouse mats available before they've <laughs> even wrote it, written a song you know what I mean and like, we've seen bands like that and we see them come and go and it just kind of leaves me cold I think you've got to do that and we've never really done that. I'd rather just make the songs, do the albums, and then at some point someone will find them. You know, not loads of people will find them at all. It'll fall behind, like fall through the cracks for most people. But along the way, like some of these records, like mean loads to a very, very small amount of people. You know, it's a handful of people around the world kind of like really, really like the records, but yeah. they really like the records. That that'll yeah, do yeah. me. I'd rather have yeah. that than be like you know, kind of popular and it not really, you know, take hold and stuff like that. I'm quite, yeah. you know, happy just putting out the records and then if someone finds them, it's brilliant. If they don't, then it's like not really meant to be. I'd rather do that than just, you know, be on social media all the time and having to yeah. push a band. It just looks so tiring. I don't know how bands do it. I don't know, like being a band now, starting a band now coming through, like it's all the social media kind of game. It's, that's just natural to them. That's just what you've got to do. And it just looks like a job, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. bands yeah, shouldn't have that much, time, yeah, it shouldn't have that much admin. You know, you should, <laughs> like you know, I don't know, drinking white lightning in a park or whatever punks do, rather than you know, enhancing yeah, I, the social media presence. I didn't get into punk for the admin. Yeah, <laughs> it's so admin heavy punk these days. It's just, but, um, but I think because as well around that time, the first like the first Downloads album and Seven Inch, there was that period of you guys and you playing again in SSS and Walk the Plank, and I think yeah. that definitely needs to be brought up because it was that tour you guys did, uh, yeah, places that no one ever plays. Yeah, we did. I've got loads of footage of that, right? I found some more. Um, so one day soon. Like that's my kind of next big project I'm going to take on is like edit loads of this footage together because I've got a few hours of footage of us like just arsing around and service so stations explain, and stuff like explain that. Explain what happened, explain what that was. Oh, it was like, so it was down and out, uh, walk the plank and SSS all went on tour. We did this our day out tour, we called it. I think we did a whole, I don't know, 12 gigs. <laughs> it's 12 gigs. It's the Scouse reference, isn't it? It is, and it? it's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 gigs uh, all around, and it was all like a lot of it was smaller places. So we played like, I think the first gig was in Chester, and we did Harrogate and Durham, and you know, so it was all towns rather than just playing the usual big cities that you'd normally try and hit on a tour. A lot of it was was a lot of it was smaller places. So we did, and that was again 
three bands in the back of a transit van. We hired a van from Birkenhead Van Hire, I think, and then like Foxy and Lecky got busy in the back and like got the, you know got the woodwork out and started and made like some benches, turn the, this higher van into a splitter van. And uh, so there was like three bands. I think there must have been like ten people traveling in this van, like you know doing wheelies down the M- M1. And so yes, yeah, so we did this tour. And yeah, it was really good. I think that was a really, really good time. Uh, we were talking before about, you know, the cycle of punk and hardcore and how it becomes like popular and as yeah. it dips now and again. I think that was just as there was like a real kind of up, upturn, upswing in popularity and especially in Liverpool. But I think, you know, countrywide as well, that tied in with the Dead and Gone records becoming more and more popular. But yeah. in Liverpool, the, the scene in Liverpool just kind of exploded at that point. And there was like, the gigs were amazing. Just there was usually you, when you're doing gigs, you've got a core audience of bands uh, of people that are playing in bands, and like a few extra people. But this, there just seemed to be people coming from all over the place who had no connection to the bands, people you didn't recognise. Usually when you're doing a gig, you can kind of like you you know all the faces at least, and you probably know most of the names. And then there just seemed to be more people coming from different places who I had no idea who they were or why they were there how they knew about these gigs and stuff like that. So they were, um, it was a really good time. But yeah, that tour was was cool. We just played all over um, and kind of like, you know, that was Chris from Down and Outy. That was his first tour. He'd been playing bass for about, I don't know, two months or something like that. He'd, he, he could barely do it. And we were just like, right, you're in the band. We're going on, we're going on tour at this date. Uh, so you better, you better be ready. So he just kind of like learnt on the job. He was like, right, he's got to do it. And it's like, you know, you count him four. And then if you're not ready, you've kind of got to learn to fake it. But yeah, he yeah. was he was good. And that, that whole tour was just like a bit of a laugh. Apart from we had like a few chaotic times with the... I mean, I won't talk too much about Howard Cook from Walk the Plank <laughs> and some of his adventures in Harrogate in particular, which phew, Jesus wept. That lad, at that time, like... I think he's Mr. Family Man these days, which is sound like, but yeah, he had like a bit of a wild few years there. Um, so there was a, bit, a few wild times, like nothing to do with us. But um, yeah, that was a really good tour, but like a really fun, creative period. Like in, locally, especially, there was just like lots of really good bands, lots of really good gigs, yeah. lots of touring. Like I was doing a lot of putting gigs on with Foxy at that point, and we were trying to get loads of gigs. Is yeah. that through? Is that Thrash gig or is that? Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, it was Thrash. Like, so Foxy was kind of doing that on his own at first. He was doing like the gigs in the skate park, open entry, doing those Halloween gigs. Yeah, and he'd done a few bits and bobs, and then we kind of when I was talking about that one man army gig, the first down and out gig, that that was the first one me and Foxy kind of collaborated on, and then we ended up doing more and more stuff after that in like you know 2004, probably for like a good five six years there. We were doing loads of touring bands yeah. in Liverpool, like doing stuff. I think we did a few bits and bobs in the slaughterhouse, but then when Heaven and Hell came along, 24-7 or whatever it was called at the time, we yeah. were doing loads of stuff in there, uh, some stuff in Carova as well. And then we tried to do a few like out-the-box kind of like stuff, you know, like doing gigs on the Mersey Ferry and things like yeah. that. So we were that was just a really good time because you could do it because you knew there was an audience. So we could... We could do like a we did like the Walk the Plank record release gig on the Mersey Ferry, yeah. And uh, that's expensive. That was with um, 
was that with Samuel Paramedics? Yeah, well? then we did Dead Samuel Stop. Paramedics, Dead Stop. Mm. Voorhees might have played that one. Voorhees, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, we did that because, and like, that was a, uh, that's like a difficult gig to do because, like, the the higher cost of doing the ferry, I can't remember what it was now, but that was like the most expensive one place we've ever hired out. It was very expensive. And then the, just the logistics of like getting the, like getting the gig ready. So like we could, they'd let us on, they agreed to let us on the ferry a bit earlier, but as it was still doing its commuter run on the Saturday. So we'd have to yeah. be waiting there at Woodside for it to come in and we'd leg it on, get it like a load of PA stuff on. And then we'd have to go to Liverpool and then come back and then we'd get a load more, get the drums on, get the lights on. So there was about three or four little kind of back and forth where we were just getting stuff on and, and trying to start setting it up. This is like, like as commuters are going home and like, what the hell's going on here? You so we were doing. The idea to, like, let's, let's put a gig on on the ferry. I, th I think that was one of um, that was one of Foxy's that he'd come up with these like kind of these mad ideas. He was, when we were doing the gigs, we. We just wanted to make them interesting. So we were doing these gigs and we were trying to make the bit... First off, when we were doing like a more of a regular gig, we'd try and just make it interesting like and not just have three metal bands or three punk bands or three hardcore bands. We were trying to mix mix gigs up. So we'd have like you know, an indie pop band with a crust band and stuff like that. Yeah, Just trying to make it a bit more interesting, a bit more fun. And then we were looking at different places to do gigs, like just left field places just to make things a bit whether it's just like pubs that we hadn't used before or whether it was stuff like the ferry because I think I walked the plank having their nautical theme just made it an easy easy yeah. leap and so I think Foxy probably came up with it and then we we went down there and had a chat with them and it was easy to do but it was just like you know those kind of things you just got to think about it in a different way logistically and yeah. It was great. That it went out, went off without a hitch. That was one of the best ones we did, I think. But like I was saying, we knew we could do a gig like that because at that time there was an audience for it. There was a lot of time when you you're putting gigs on. You're kind of worried if you're going to make this guarantee that a band needs, or you whether whether it's going to be an audience. Yeah. You know, it's a Tuesday night, and you've got a tour of band coming in. You're thinking, oh man, it's going to be tough. This we might yeah. make it tonight, but that one, like yeah, we can sell tickets for like 20 quid or whatever it was um, because we knew people would pay and we knew we could, you know, we could afford to hire out the ferry and I think we were doing bowls of vegan scouse. Yeah. I remember I, I was buying like um, massive, massive big bags of rice. I had this bag of rice that lasted me about a year and a half afterwards. It was <laughs> in house. But I think, we, and we bought a microwave as well. So we, we had a few microwaves on there. We went out and actually bought one. Uh, and we had like like Bilzo and like a few other people said it and a few other like people like loads of people came and helped basically yeah. so you'd come on it was fancy dress and there is some footage somewhere I'm going to have to find it I think I've got it on a tape of like um, like the Jolly Roger theme I think it's playing there as we're coming in to the pier head and everyone's decked out in the fancy dress gear and it just looks bananas and people come on and then they you know they go upstairs and Bilzo's serving them the, the vegan scouse and what have you and then you know dead stopper playing it's that was that was one of the best ones we did and I was convinced you know some idiot would end up in the Mersey but everyone went off I'm surprised no one did yeah it makes sense doesn't it you know what I mean like the, you, you've been to these gigs in town where there's always yeah. like one drunk skateboarder who just takes yeah. things a little bit too far though yeah. oh, you know we're like taking bets on who's going to be the man overboard but we got back you know 
everyone managed yeah everyone managed to survive and that but yeah that was kind of just a typical kind of idea of, of the gigs we were doing at that time it was just like mm-hmm. a really really fun really fun time like there was um as i said we could do it because there was an audience there which is and not so always the case around then as well i mean you've always done a bit of recording but you're it took off a lot more then didn't it recording bands yeah i was doing bits and bits and pieces and it was usually just because like we were trying to like i was doing a lot of it like i was saying with andy mason who recorded the some of the um down and out stuff with us and me and andy we were buying like little bits of recording equipment because at that time home recording stuff started becoming a little bit more affordable so we you know we'd buy a little some bits and pieces and a lot of the time we'd end up paying for it by recording bands you know we'd record seven inches or whatever get a few hundred quid it was always cheap you know what i mean we'd always like undercharge like too much but we'd make these little bits of money and so when it came time to do a down and out album we'd have like some better gear yeah but uh so yeah so we did like that um the the walk the plank stuff did the that kind of debut cd ep they did and yeah. then or that seven inch collection um and he did the album on his own um i didn't do that but the seven inches and like that that first release that ep i helped and did you do the sss demo yeah we did like that sss demo that came together quick that was another one where it was like we started working on that the week before we did our first gig so like i love that demo yeah, it was it's it, it kind of fun to do. So we like end up, you know, just winging it really. You know, doing the drums one day, bass next day, guitar next day, vocals next day, mix it the next day, and then the gig was the day after that. So it was all. <laughs> I was like, I think I was. I remember copying all the CDs in work on the day of the gig. I had like this big seat in the job I was doing at the time. We had this like big CD copier, so I was just on the photocopier upstairs doing the covers and you know, doing the, the CDs downstairs there. So it was, we just got it ready in time for the gig. But yeah, we did that. And then, I mean, all the SSS albums that I played on, like I was kind of, you know, engineering or producing or whatever. It was just, I mean, yeah. and listening so back to SSS stars then? Well, probably just a little bit after Down and Out. Like I think, yeah. whereas Down and Out's album came out 2004. I think the first uh, Walk the Plank thing came out in 2004. I think, uh, SSS was either the end of 2004 or maybe early 2005, maybe 2004. We did that demo and a gig. And again, it was just, we had no kind of ambitions after that. It was just a bit of fun. Let's do a demo. Let's play a gig. And then that was it really. But once we'd done that, we had amassed a few more songs. We are like, well, let's do a seven inch. And we put the seven inch out. And then, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. so we were kind of like, and then it was just a natural progression. It was like, let's do a record. And we... Uh, I think when we had the seven inch out, we went out on, we went to Europe, and that was the first time we went to Europe. And that we basically just, that was kind of Foxy just, uh, you know, hustling again. Yeah. Like he he helped book the Walk the Plank, little European tour for your, your Walk the Plank. And it was like, well, when he was contacting the promoters, it was like, well, can my band get on it as well? Because yeah. I think Foxy was already going to drive Walk the Plank. Yeah. And uh, so it was like, well, all it is means is an extra person, me getting in the van, let's play these gigs. So yeah, we we went out and did like a little European tour. We walked the plank, which was cool. Was that the and one then, with the... Um, so was, did Down and Out go on that as well? Or was that no, a different that was a different... That might have been that first uh, UK thing 
I was talking about before that when it was SSS oh, walked the plank and down and out. But for that one, it was just SSS. Gannots went to Norway, didn't you? We did. We did. Like, I mean, one of the good things about like you know the uh, that explosion in budget airlines. I know it's like ultimately it's going to lead to like the ice caps melting a bit quicker. But the the upside of that is means like punk bands can get about a bit easier <laughs> around Europe and do these weekenders and yeah, we change. It is, isn't it? It's like you know, you got swings and roundabouts. So we <laughs> we I think that was about probably two thousand six around then two thousand seven. We did a split with the band Death Is Not Glamorous, and which is the first and one of the best lessons I've ever had in in doing like splits with bands is if you're gonna do a split with a band, like pick one which is much more popular and much more hard working than yourself because they go out and tour with your split single and you don't yeah, have to yeah. go out and tour. So we end up getting like loads of popularity in, in Germany because Death Is Not Glamorous would play in Germany quite a bit and like even to this day, like we, in fact, when last time we played Germany, it was through people who knew us from that split who booked us on the tour. So there's a little t- tip for all the punks out there. Make friends and do split <laughs> records with much more popular bands than yourself. <laughs> but yeah, they invited us out to Oslo and we went out for a weekend there to Oslo, but we end up doing that quite a bit. Again, just doing that like easy jets, Ryanair thing of um, you know, going out and we've done like weekenders in in Italy, you know, going out for like three or four gigs in Italy and then coming back and doing where else? Quite a few times in Germany. We've done like four or five times of doing weekenders there. Portugal, I think we did one gig, fly in, fly out, and it just you know, these uh I say that explosion in budget airlines, but they cottoned onto it. Uh, maybe less so easy, Jeff, but Ryanair cottoned onto it where you'd get stung, I think, 40 quid for any musical instrument, wow. uh, no matter what. So it, it just made it kind of financially more difficult to do after a while. But the uh, when it first started, you, you know, you could get to, you know, Oslo and back for, I don't know, 40 quid or whatever. Yeah. And you could get out there, go out there for a the weekend and do a gig and take your guitar no problem, but uh, yeah, they got onto it. That like loads yeah. of punks were flying all over the place, and they they tried to stop us. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? It's not fair, uh, is it? So then, who else? You so then, around then, you did. I remember you came and recorded the Safeguard demo in yeah. Manchester, and then you did the Seconds Out one, didn't you as well? They did, and that that's still unfinished. The Seconds Out one, or the um, Second Out Seven Inch. That they were going to do the infamous seven inch. Yeah, so I've I've got it on the computer. I'm looking at now. It's on the hard drive there. I found it a couple of years ago. It was like on an external hard drive. I got yeah, and um, it was like all the tracks there, all sequenced up, all kind of ready just for the vocals to go on it. But Kev's not interested in doing it, so no. I keep threatening to like make it into like a rap metal project <laughs> at some point. So if any any of you lads can like play turntables, then you can get involved. <laughs> but it's good. There's like I think there's like seven songs on there. Yeah. Of all like you know just kind of like seconds how style hardcore. You know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds exactly what these sounded like. It sounded you know kind of cool, but uh, it'd be good if that got finished like one day. It'd be kind of cool. But yeah, that's just sitting there on my hard drive. So that that's. Um, I think we recorded that. We had that rehearsal place on Duke Street for a while. I think you went yeah, down there yeah, with us, Tom. And we, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we did some bands down there. We were recording some bands down there. Remember that, um, uh, that band, uh, Search and Destroy, all those little urchins. We did a seven-inch for them. Um, uh, there was a few. Yeah, there was. I, I forgot. I should really look at the discogs, really, because I do forget a lot of it. But the, yeah, I was recording more and more because it's kind of fun. I mean, I'm not that that good at 
being an engineer and stuff like that, being a, being a producer or whatever, but it's kind of, you know, it's it's fun. And again, it was just a way of getting a little bit of money so we could get a bit more recording equipment. And next time we do it, it's a little bit better. And we just kept getting a bit better and a, a little bit better. And some of it ends up sounding good. Some of it ends up sounding not that good. But, you know, that's just, that's punk, isn't it? That's what you yeah. can say. When something's rubbish, you can just say, oh, it's <laughs> punk. <laughs> yeah, you got that ideal, like, little ghetto clothes. If yeah. You can try and use it in any walk of life if you can. Next time you do something crap, so that's punk. See if you get away with it. But, yeah, we're doing loads of recording. But, um, yeah, there's, I still do little bits now and again, but it's uh, it's it's just time-consuming, you know what I mean? Yeah. I haven't got yeah, a studio yeah. space. It's just a pain in the arse, but there you go. So to go back to SSS then, like, SSS blew up massive, didn't they, like... Major, was it a major record label we just went on? Well, not a major, but we did. We were on Earache, and it's still an indie, but the, I mean, the you know, they're a pro label. They, yeah, at the time, like when we signed, I don't know how many employees they have now, but when we signed, you know, they, they probably had like I don't know, 15 employees or something like that. So, like, the, you know, they're a, a pro label where they're selling a lot of records and they've got like a back catalogue, which is. Well, a lot of it is also garbage, but especially the stuff they stick out now, all this like blues rock stuff we do now. But they've got like some like undeniably just absolute classic records that they've put out. So like when the they got in touch, like Napalm, Napalm Death on here, yeah, that's it. They were like one of the first yeah. records they put out, and and when Napalm blew up, um, like Eric kind of as a you know consequence of that, they Eric just became more and more popular and tried to keep that you know scum record in press and then they ended up yeah. just blowing up and then that i guess they were just lucky because of the time and place loads of these bands were coming up so they ended up putting you know carcass records out and yeah orbit angel deicide yeah. and untombed and you know uh, god flesh and cathedral and all these bands who just released absolute cornerstones of like extreme metal like there's so many of them, you know, earache put out. So they've got like a an amazing history there. And so when they got in touch, it was like, oh wow, this is kind of it's kind of interesting. But we were not really sold on it. Like we weren't sure whether it was the right thing yeah. to do, whether we should just stay like more of a DIY thing. Yeah. It was kind of going in a bit a bit of a different direction. We weren't really sure whether it was thing because when we spoke to like me and Foxy went down to the office, we drove down there. And we had a little gab to them. We were all like up front. We were saying, look, well, we're not a professional band. We're not doing this full time. This is just like kind of, yeah, we're going on tour now and again, but it's a bit of fun. It's not a pro band. Like we want to be completely up front with you. If you're expecting us to be out on the road for three or six months or whatever, then we're not going to do it. At that point, we were all in our thirties, you know, and some of us had, you know, mortgages or were about to have families and, you know, careers and what have you. So we weren't about to like, we just couldn't, you know, you couldn't contemplate trying to be full-time crossover thrash band. It just didn't make any sense. <laughs> so we, we were very honest with them, but they were like, oh no, it doesn't matter. You just, you know, it just, but ultimately it did matter. You know, you kind of need to be out there and doing stuff. But I think when you're saying like we blew up, we can't, we didn't really, like a lot of it was kind of optics. It looked like a lot of it was hype. Because yeah. when you're on like a record label <clears throat> that has a, like a little bit of a budget, um, you know, and they had their own dedicated PR person, and she, you know, helped get us out into magazines. So you're in Metal Hammer and Kerrang and, and stuff like tours, that. Yeah, few tours, didn't you? Yeah, support slots. Yes, we. I mean, we end up just being a perennial support. 
band really, but we got onto like loads of like good supports. Like not long after we signed with Earache, we did like a a UK run with um, Municipal Waste. Yeah, and we did stuff. We yeah, did you like, used to, didn't used to get, get quite a lot. Usually, yeah, like, we we did. Like, I mean, we before they were kind of before they blew up, we put them on. Me and Foxy stuck them on in Heaven and Hell upstairs. Yeah on like a Tuesday night or something like that. And, uh, so we kind of knew them anyway beforehand. And uh, so we did some gigs with them. I think we we did like, uh, I mean, a little bit later on, we did some stuff with Negative Approach, which was boss. We did, who else? We did some stuff with Fucked Up, quite a bit of stuff with Fucked Up. Yeah, you used to tell uh, them, yeah. Yeah, we did like, a, a, probably the best tour we did in the UK anyway was like a, a uh, with fucked up and gallows, I don't know if you remember that band Gallows, yeah. and they um, they they blew up. They were they were mm. kind of huge, and the, but they they uh, pick. I think they were on a major, and they, this was like the first kind of big tour since they became started to become really popular. And they picked the bands, you know. So it was really nice. Then they chose us. They or they asked us if you know, do you want to come out on tour, and it was just a dead easy tour, you know. Get paid. I think we got paid up front. Or something like that. So, like money-wise, it was all, all the van and all the kind of expenses were taken care of. So there was no pressure there. All the venues were amazing. Catering was cool. Every, uh, all the bands were cool. Dead nice. So it was that was like the easiest tour. So we did like tours like that where you know you know you're the first band on, and there's like a load of barrier huggers watching you and stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's good. It gets you to play like these like venues that you normally wouldn't be able to play. You know, you used to playing like in a basement or back room of a pub and all that and then suddenly I mean we got to play in like um, we supported Kill Switch Engage in Brixton Academy we played there got two parking tickets so it ultimately we lost money <laughs> on it and doing those kind of, like doing some of those bigger gigs you get paid like pretty much fuck all as well which is like mad yeah. but yeah we end up playing like Brixton Academy which we, we never wouldn't we'd never be able to do that if like we were just like went the DIY path so in terms of an experience it's like worth it but like when you're playing in front of I don't know like 5,000 people in Brixton Academy you're not like you you'd think being the support band you take away a certain amount of that audience with you and they become your fan but your fan but it just doesn't really work like that you might so was it 5,000 people who didn't want you up there <laughs> pretty much 5,000 people just wanted you to finish yeah 5,000 people who, and you're in the way <laughs> you're in the way of see, of you seeing their favourite band so yeah. that's like a lot I mean it was okay it wasn't like they went booing or not like that and we went down okay but for the support a lot of support bands it is like that at that level like people go in there and they're staying in the bar or whatever or if they come out and check a band out like like generally the feeling is alright I've paid my you know 20 quid to come into this gig and I want to see the band that I really like I've just bought their t-shirts I've got an expensive beer and I want to see this I want to see Kill Switch yeah. Engage I don't want to whatever this noise is on stage I don't really want to see it you might get a polite round of applause or you might connect with you know out of 5,000 people you know, you might get a lot of nodding heads, but maybe, you know, you might get 10 people who might buy a record. You know, it's yeah. all, whatever it, whatever the percentage is, it's really small and you're not really, those kind of gigs, you're not really taking an audience with you. Like, was, we probably should have just started doing more of our own kind of just DIY gigs and stuck to that. But because people thought we were a bigger band, thought we were more popular because we were on, you know, we were getting our pictures in Kerrang or whatever, but that's just because, you know, the record label have got a PR person who knows the person in Kerrang mm. and they're doing them a favour, you know. 
it's not because we're massive. It's just because it's just down to optics and PR and mm. and hype really. So I, I when, didn't mean any disrespect when I said that. By the way, no, it's it's no, it's 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 not at all. I mean, it's, <laughs> if 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 it anything, it's the other way. Like if people think we were more popular than what we were, but like the reality was like we weren't as popular as what some people thought. And I think yeah. that's probably it. Pulled off a lot of people from asking us asking us to do stuff, you know. So like yeah. people, a lot of I mean, we we're still doing some hardcore stuff and doing some. DIY stuff, but a lot of people in that world wouldn't ask us because they thought, well, this band's not going to want to go on, you know, second on a bill in this gig in, you know, a pub in Leeds on a Wednesday because they usually play Brixton Academy. And I'm like, well, that's not the reality, you know. So, like, ultimately, it kind of, um, it probably shortened our lifespan or kind of made us, you know, not as... uh, it reduced the longevity, I think, but it was yeah. fun. You know, getting. I think I think that's in general though with like more metal audiences, isn't it? Like because metal audiences, they're not really tolerant. They just want to see what they want to see. Type yeah, thing. hardcore it's audience. A different mentality, will, isn't it? It is. Hardcore it, audience will give like they they want to mosh. If they can mosh to it, they'll mosh to it. Or if they can dance to it, they can dance to it. They'll yeah, yeah. Give everything a go. Like I think you're, I think you're right. I think when you're playing those kind of hardcore gigs, there's usually like. Uh, it needs it and there usually is like a couple of cheerleaders who will just kind of get things started from like minute one in those gigs you know what I mean because it relies like I think hardcore relies on audience participation you know what I mean having like a hardcore gig where people aren't kind of moving is like a weird experience because yeah. it's it needs it. it like without that it, it, it just doesn't it doesn't exist in the same way but yeah like the metal audience is a, a difference not like worse, but just different. Yeah, they have like a different expectation. I found like we, because we end up playing like loads of gigs to like metalheads, and then like loads of gigs to punks and stuff like that. But with the metalheads, they like they expect you to be like on a stage. Like whereas the punks, when you're playing those gigs, you don't want a stage. You want to be on the floor. Yeah, and like even like a, you know a kind of not a literal stage, whereas like you don't want to be above an audience. You you know, there's nothing special about a band. You know, it's everyone should be equal when you go into a punk gig. Yeah. Like an audience member or the person putting on the gig or the band, they're all on the same level. But when you go and see a metal gig, it's not really like that. But like the, the audience don't really want that. They want a show. They want to see a band with lights. They want to see a band on yeah. a stage. Yeah. They want that bit more kind of entertainment to it because that's part of that kind of heavy metal culture really. But it's uh, it's not like worse. It's not one way isn't better than the other. It's just like it's a different a different experience. But it's kind of it was fun when we were doing SSS. It was fun to kind of have a foot in both camps. You know, kind of see how do the half lived. You know what I mean? We got to like just see some some like mad mad stuff. You know what I mean? Like especially in that heavy metal world. You know, we played we played some of these festivals. We we end up kind of like bumming on in in Europe. Um, yeah, like we you know seeing like D Snyder from Twisted Sister like walk around and stuff like that or you know we're, we're like bunking into or the other lads anyway I, I think I was getting some food but the other lads were bunking into Def Leppard's press conference and things like that and <laughs> so you, you just get to like experience like these like um, these different things and ultimately that's kind of like what the, the biggest takeaway with like doing that band was like as I say even though we weren't really sure about doing the, the records with Earache and ultimately like from a career 
point of view, it probably wasn't a wise idea, but from an experience point of view of just having these opportunities to see these like funny things and, and like see like a different part of music and a different part of, you know, people experience. It was, it was worth it. Definitely. It was, it was really funny. Like at at times we had like a, just a real laugh, you know, when you kind of like, you seeing these different walks of life. It was good. It was an eye opener in some ways. It was like, it was cool. So would you recommend it then to other bands? Would you do it again? You know, like he's saying, like there's so like there's a like hard say a hardcore band now gets approached by like Eric or uh, a similar type of label. Like is Century Media still going? Yeah, I think they are. That, that, that's would you, that's definitely. Would you say you know go for it, enjoy it, and all that, or you know was, think, was the pitfalls with it like are, are there expectations and stuff? Yeah, yeah there's definite expectations. Like sorry I mean, to tread on your film. No, no, I mean, I, I guess it's all, it's all kind of, it definitely all ties in together. And the, uh, I got to deal with the, like the expectations kind of side of it. It's definitely the, compared to what we were doing before and which was putting out records ourselves or with like those first two records we did, they were like a co-release between ourselves and Dead and Gone. Yeah. And mm. like, we, we threw money towards it. And there was like there was no expectation. The only expectation is let's try and sell some to get this money back, yeah. and that was it. And then when you're in that world, you can put out a record whenever you want. But when you're like doing stuff on like say like a, a label, a pro label like Earache, for instance, they, you know, it's there's a lot of moving parts, and you're just one of those moving parts. So they um, might have our record earmarked for you know August whatever year. And you think, well, okay, well, what if our recording goes a little bit longer than what it should? Or what if we're not quite ready? Well, you lose that s- slot, you know what I mean? And then maybe you don't have a slot then till next March because they're putting out records ah. all the time. It's like not really like they can just drop a record whenever they want. They have, yeah. they've got to have three months lead up to do all the press and the PR, you know, and mm. then they've got to like just get everything, all the kind of ducks in a row and they've got to get everything in place to put these out and they have certain slots and you can release a record at a certain time of year but you, or you can't release a record at a certain time of year. So there's like lots of that. And then, you know, there's a bottom line as well because like we signed, I think it was like a four or five album deal. I can't remember what it was. And But each record you, we were doing, we'd have an advance to make the album. And it wasn't much. It was a few thousand pounds or whatever. But each record that advance goes up <clears throat> so it'd become you know x amount of thousand or whatever it was but really at some point you've got to be selling enough records to yeah, justify to them it. giving you 10 grand or whatever it is yeah. and we're not we were not selling that many records on the first album we, we did all right um that sold i don't even know how many it's a long time since i've looked at it but that that was the biggest seller you know that sold quite a few thousand so like an absolute drop in the ocean for earache but for us it was loads because we doing it diy we would never sell that much but yeah. um so we we did we did okay but then each record after that would sell less and that was probably partly because in general people were selling less records you know what i mean i was like that streaming and downloading and all that was coming more popular because yeah, that just, was that either wasn't it when it yeah online and... that's right so there was a bit of that but also we were just less popular <laughs> with each album definitely you know what i mean we we, we kind of when we put the first album out there's like a lot of hype like earache put out this like we're doing this new wave of thrash metal kind of thing oh and, yeah i remember that yeah so it was kind of i mean and some of it was just hype mm. but some of it was kind of real because there was a lot of bands 
around the world that started becoming like influenced by like the old 80s thrash bands and stuff like that. I mean, Municipal Waste are like the most obvious one, but there's loads of bands that were doing it. SSS were doing it in a slightly different way with the crossover thing, but we didn't know about all these bands who were knocking around, but the, gradually as we started playing more, there was more of these bands kind of be, appeared on our radar. So it was kind of a real thing. It wasn't all just hype, but the but that was only going to last for so long. So they launched this new wave of thrash metal thing and they had Municipal Waste, uh, Evile from Huddersfield, and they were like a bit more of a trad kind of Metallica kind of vibe. And then they signed us. And that was really why we got signed because we were ready to go. We had that first album that we'd released, but they wanted to license it. And basically that's pretty much the whole reason why we got signed. It was just the right time, right place. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of, when we were going out on tour around that time, loads of people were like giving us demos and saying, oh, how do we get signed? And I was like, I haven't really got any advice for you. Like, it was just luck, really. It wasn't down to... Like, they hadn't even seen us play, Eric. They, they heard the album and they were like, right, do you want to sign for us? And, you know, eventually we said, okay. So they hadn't even seen us play, which was kind of unheard of. And it was just down to the fact that we were a kind of thrashy band and we were ready to go. We had an album that was ready so they could launch their new wave of thrash metal thing a few months down the line and make a big deal of it. Like, so it was a... Yeah. It's just right time... Right yeah. place, but in terms of like, uh, would I recommend it to other bands? It'd be like more down to like what they wanted to do, and I think the like the music landscape's probably totally different now. To anyway, I don't, I wouldn't even understand that our band kind of would exist these days. And yeah. but I guess it was just, do you wanna, do you, do you want help from a label? Can you do it on your own? Because a lot of bands are just doing it on their own and yeah. spending money on getting PR. You know what I mean? They might. You can self-release a digital album and do it for free, but then spend, you know, you can spend a couple of grand on PR and you'll get that back. You know what I mean? It's yeah. if you can spend that money on a PR agent, you'll you'll get it back further down the line. That's what a lot of bands are doing, and they don't need a record label. But if a band f- thinks they need one, then I don't know, they should do it as long as they don't have, I think, you know, if they have realistic expectations. And for us, when we said, oh, let's do it, it wasn't like dreams of being like a heavy metal superstar. It was more like this, this might be a laugh, this. You yeah. know what I mean? We can say we're label mates with Morbid Angel <laughs> and Lord Mower Death. And we, you know, and they, they kind of promised the earth to you, like all these labels. They'll, they'll say, oh, we can do this for you and can do that. And you kind of take it with a pinch of salt. And all we wanted to do was kind of like, you know, play a few funny gigs if they could help us getting out and about and they did a little bit but not really but a lot of it is, again was just done off our own backs you still got to do the work and when we did all the touring and we got all the good support slots and we managed to get on festivals it was a lot of it was down to just us hustling and you know exchanging favours like some of it like when we played <clears throat> excuse me played Hellfest in, in France that's like the biggest gig we did it's, it's just like stupid big mad heavy metal festival yeah and Again, loads of people like, oh, how did you get on that? And it was just down. Uh, Nico, who was who drove us around Europe a few times, like boss lad from France who helps us out now and again. He was mates with the guy who books Hellfest, and he just said, oh, can you stick this band on? And he went, okay, yeah, sound. And that was it. It's just like it's a lot of it is down to like not down to working hard and necessarily it's like you know it's not what you know it's who you know. 
it's just yeah not being afraid to tell to people you know being being cheeky definitely yeah that helps sometimes you just gotta like you know was it ask for forgiveness and not for permission or whatever it is you just gotta get stuck in sometimes and and either ask people or just do it yourself and say you know right i'll deal with the consequences later let's do it and i mean yeah but a lot of it is just a big slice of luck so like as i was saying there we the only reason we had the record deal was just down to blind luck it's it's mad the way the world works like but that's that's definitely uh our experience there but it was fun you know what i mean it, well, i would yeah. probably wouldn't change it you know what i mean we could i'd say we could have went a different way and done like more legitimate stuff and done better kind of like got more popular on a diy level but we wouldn't have had certain experiences and we wouldn't have like you know gone yeah. around europe and, and got to play the same places and stuff like that so it was a in retrospect experience wise it was probably the best thing to do was sign for your records probably not not for everyone definitely not yeah I'm just a bit mindful of the time I want, I want to ask more about like Frank Sidebottom and all that I know you're <laughs> involved with him but I'm mindful of the time and, so we've got, we got a little bit of time there. I'll move on to I'll move on to Frank quick because that, that is mad on, like do you want to get on to Frank or do you want to get on to new stuff or is the time for both Let, let's talk about Frank there's always time to talk about Frank isn't there <laughs> well, that was another mad one I'm not like I'm not hundred percent sure where, like we started talking about let's do some stuff with Frank Sidebottom, but I, I loved him as a kid, like seeing him on TV yeah, and he stuff was like, like that. Because we're obviously around the same age, um, and when I was a kid, he was on the telly all the time, like Saturday morning telly. Yeah, he, Masha Yed and Little Frank and yeah, was he, he was he was recognised even if you didn't really know him. You'd recognise me. He was part of like that, like kind of mid eighties TV culture. You know what yeah. I mean? Loads of people recognise him. Oh yeah, what's? I oh, remember that guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. So that kind of thing. And I, I remember. I, I actually saw him play like a, I don't know, late nineties. He kind, he kind of disappeared. Yeah. For a bit, and then kind of came back slightly. And I, I saw him playing the Zanzibar in town in the late nineties, and it was kind of weird but fun. You know, it's like it's just kind of left field as he is. Playing to like a room full of students who didn't really understand what was going on. It was kind of funny, and then he disappeared again, and then kind of forgot all about him. But um, uh, Da like Dave, who was the uh, bass player in Jail uh, Cell Recipes, yeah, he's good. He's good, was good mates with uh, Frank, like Chris, who was like you know the alter ego of Frank, and he ended up playing in Frank's band and live and stuff like that, and kind of semi managing them, taking care of them. Doing stuff at like an archive and loads of his stuff and stuff like that. So we, like, we knew Dave. I th- I don't know how the conversation came about, but one thing led to another, and we we booked side bottom onto um, a gig, and this was a Halloween gig, and I I think this is like where I was talking before about trying to do some different yeah. stuff, trying to make gigs less, you know, just not straightforward gigs. Let's do something different. And I think it was probably that. So we got side bottom on. He agreed to do it. Halloween gig and it was in the mask this was probably about 2007 or something like that and um, he was he did a set himself and he was the compare for the night so he was there the whole night it was amazing down and outs played and I, I think SSS might have played GLC Recipes played um, and a few other bands played I can't really remember the lineup, but it was a good little lineup. and yes Sidebottom did his thing and did his usual covers but he uh, he did some like Misfits covers and stuff like that he had a little <laughs> He had little Frank dressed up as Jerry Only, I think, from Misfits. And it was boss, it was great. Everyone was getting it. He had like the those kind of like Danzig Misfits gloves on and stuff like that. I think he had the 
had um, gaffer tape devil lock on his head and stuff like that. So he, it was good. It was just like silly. And then like from that, I, I'm not sure of, it, of the sequence, but we ended up doing another gig with him in Manchester, in Virgin Records in Manchester in the daytime. No, I, I can't remember anything about like why we were doing it, but we did it. And then he ended up uh, playing on a record with us. So when we did the second yeah, did SSS album, so the seven inch, it was it was it was our seven inch. But he kind of introduces it That's at the it. start and does like a little outro at the end. So this seven inch, I think you got it free with the second album. Yeah, that's it. Um, oh yeah, let's get industry seven inch. Yeah, and that's I think if you bought it, I don't know whether it was with either if you pre-ordered it or whether you bought it in like one of these select indie record shops you got the seven inch free and um yeah so we, we've got our like songs on there and have like side bottoms at the start and he i think the starter side two maybe he comes in and introduces the band which is just it's stupid it's daft i don't really i don't know what we were thinking but it's great but it's i don't know like I, I have no idea what happened but he came down to our rehearsal room so we had this rehearsal space in um on highfield street in town just off Palm Island Town. And we're down in the basement there. Uh, this is where Three Lions was recorded as well, fact fans. But we were downstairs in the basement and uh, DA came down with, with Chris. He came down there and then he had the side bottom head with him. Puts the head on. As soon as the head goes on, like Chris disappears, it's just Frank. Like there's, it, You've got to call him Frank. You've got to talk to Frank. It's just the way it is. So... He came down, He had, like the full costume was on. It wasn't just like he put the head on. And bear in mind, like, I mean, we were filming it, but we were, he didn't come down to film it. We just had the cameras there, so we started filming it when he put the head on. But he was only coming down to do audio. He didn't need to put the head on. There's no <laughs> point. That's it. He's absolutely committed Massive to it. But yeah, I'd, I'd, heard, I'd kind of heard about this anyway, about his commitment to doing this at gigs, you know, like travelling with the head on and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, as I say, he turned up, he had like jackets on and he put the head on. As soon as he puts the head on, he's like totally in character. And basically we got our own little, like, little private side bottom show for about half an hour. It's on YouTube somewhere as well. It's quite, for some reason, it's kind of hard to find, but it is up on YouTube of like side bottoming in our rehearsal of room playing the drums he's playing my bass and stuff like that and uh, I just had the recording gear set up and I just recorded kind of everything and he's and then he, he did like the intro and outro so we had all that uh, all that there and we put the record I, I said I don't I don't know what we were thinking there in what, having Frank Seibot on a record but it was kind of cool it was just something a little bit different but yeah. It was great. It was again. That was just through like having a little contact there with with DA. He he sorted us out. He hooked us up, and we were just trying to do something like a bit different, a bit funny and stuff like that. Trying to because we were really hard to um, we were really hard to promote for e earache. Like they they like having like all your bands have got to have like a hook. You know what I mean? You've got to have something really sellable, something really like you can promote and do a certain kind of photo shoot with yeah. you know with your Sad kind of poses. little gimmick yeah that's it and we didn't have any gimmicks because we were just very boring and very ordinary looking just like four fellas in the 30s who just didn't look like rock stars and stuff like that so like the the PR woman at ERA she's always like just like banging her head against the wall trying <laughs> to get us to do something unique or something a bit gimmicky and so she can try and sell it to and get us like in these heavy metal magazines rather than 
you know, there's like a million bands of four lads standing against the wall. That picture, like, they're ten a penny. So when yeah. we did like a photo shoot there with Frank Sidebottom, I think we got like a little bit of press off that and stuff like that. That's so probably the most on metal though. <laughs> it is. It's daft, isn't it? Which is kind of good because we were at that point we were kind of taken off and doing like a lot of metal gigs and we were playing with like a lot of metal bands and you play these little metal festivals and stuff like that and like we. Um, you know, they're all very serious. A lot of, like, these people come up and there's, like, you know, not everyone, but there's kind of certain po-facedness about some of this kind of, like, metal. And then, you know, we, we turn up looking the way we do. Like, you know, couldn't grow longer if we tried. Although, actually, Brumo did. Uh, but the, uh, you know, come up with, our, like, you know, Frank Sidebottom, seven inches and stuff like that. And it's just, it, it must have looked like, you know, a UFO land into some of these like metalheads. Didn't you play, they, they got into it in New Brighton as well in the prom? What? Was it the the prom or something? The bandstand. That was the uh, bandstand. yeah we, yeah we did. Uh, um, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. That's a good one. There. Yeah, um, we put that gig on. Um, on, the, on a Sunday afternoon or something. That's right. It? Yeah, it was a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. It was good weather in Vale Park. It was in the in the bandstand in Vale Park in New Brighton, and. Again, that's just all about just let's try and do some fun. Let's do something a bit mad. Because me and Foxy used to go down there some like Sundays and watch the brass bands in the Vale Park. And like, oh, you know, as you're sitting there, you start to, oh, it'll be good to do a gig here. Should we do a gig? Yeah. And then before you know it, you've booked a gig. Oh, shit, we've booked this gig. And then, so we had, I think it was a, if I remember rightly, it was Puzzle. It was like a kind of like yeah. indie pop band from around here. Hot Club the Paddy played. No. That's right, yeah, that's right. Mounties playing them. Uh, they played, I think Hot Club played SS, SSS with their... I think we might have played a little gig, but our main reason for being there was to do the thrash musical chairs. So we set it all up. So everyone had deck chairs at the, at the gig. Uh, so we set up the chairs just in front of the bandstand and did this, you know, thrash musical chairs. So we were just playing these, like, like bog-standard kind of, like, you know, SOD, Chromax kind of riffs we were doing and we'd get ready to all stop at the same time and the kids were just going, so it was all kids like going berserk, but Frank Sidebottom was playing as well. So he was doing the musical cheers and he lost. Um, <laughs> after a few rounds, he lost and he kicked off and he, he it was brilliant. Like proper commitment there. He has like a big tantrum and storms out the park and just keeps on walking and he just keeps on going. Like totally committed to the bit. Like he was like, just went... I think there's there's definitely some footage of that. And he just walks down the prom. He doesn't come back for like 10 minutes. It's brilliant. <laughs> it was dead good, but that was good. Like all these kids are just going berserk. Some kid at the deck, because like fo by accident, Foxy like moved a chair. Like he, because you know, after each round of musical chairs, you move one out the way. So Foxy's yeah. moving the chair out the way. And this kid goes to sit down and just like eat shit and just like wipes out, <laughs> hits the deck, starts crying. I Foxy, that's like, oh no, like, uh, so it was a, uh, all these gig kids are just for like e-numbers from eating sweets all day, <laughs> legging it round to the heavy metal band and stuff like that, so it was a, uh, that was another good one there, yeah, that was, I totally forgotten about that, yeah, but yeah, side bottom, he was, he, he was great, yeah, he did some really good stuff for us there, because he, he was into it, because he, he was just like, you know, the stuff he, he used to come up with, like, if, if you've seen that side bottom documentary, if you haven't seen that, Get onto that because it's oh it's it's well worth a watch. He's just like a he's a one off like he was he was just a just like a bananas character. You know what I mean? Just come up yeah. with like loads of just mad ideas, loads of just mad ways of like thinking and looking at the world. And I think he he enjoyed kind of like you know 
doing his thing with heavy metal band or whatever. It was just he, he found that kind of funny, so it was good. But yeah, we were, that we were just trying to do different gigs all the time, just trying to make it interesting while while we could. And that was a good one. That was a really good one. You um, you were saying about uh, Frank Sidebottom doing like Misfits covers of the Halloween show? Yeah, um, yeah. Was he into punk and stuff, or did he ever mention anything like that? Or was it just he was? Just a, yeah. He was. He started off like when. Like before he was Frank Sidebottom, he was playing music. Like when he was Chris, he was, um, he did a band, The Freshies. And they're like, I mean, that was probably late 70s or early 80s. I can't really God. remember it. Um, they're, they're worth checking out because that's like kind of like new wavy stuff. Right. Not like, you know, it's kind of punky. It's like, you know, like melodic, catchy stuff, but like with like a, you know, kind of real guitar kind of attitude. So it's. Yeah. He was definitely into that kind of oh, you know, original wave of punk because he was a bit older. So he, he was there for like, you know, that original kind of punk explosion. So he was definitely into all that. Oh. I don't know how aware he was of stuff later on, but yeah. with, him be, with, with him being mates of, with uh, Dave from JLC Recipes, he was probably had some kind of awareness of stuff that was going on. Or, you know, oh. I, imagine, I imagine Dave pumped kind of some stuff his way. But uh, when he was doing the, the Misfits stuff, it was. It seemed like he he, he was. He knew it. He wasn't like yeah, just just learning. Just, yeah, it seemed like he, he definitely knew what was going on there. So it was a. Uh, it That's was good. Cool. Uh, yeah, and people just went bananas. Like it was great. Oh man, I, 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 <laughs> I never got to see him. I wish I had to be honest. I always miss them shows. It's good. I mean, there was some good. I mean, like like anything, you kind of like I I look back at stuff like nostalgic and think of it in a certain way. But when when it's stuff like that's happening. You, you know, you don't think you're going to be talking about it in the podcast or whatever, like 15 years later or something like that, because yeah. it's. But you know, everyone has got those moments, and like, like we were saying at the start of the thing, like as long as there's, there's going to be new gigs and new moments that you're going to look back on in the future. I think that's like the main, the main thing. Because I, I look back at stuff that I missed, like either from not knowing about it or it's before my time or just because I was lazy and stayed at home. Yeah. I look at it, oh, I was like, oh, I wish I would have seen that. But, you know, the reality of going to these things probably doesn't, it's probably not as impressive as the kind of like nostalgia is when you look or just being able to say, oh yeah, I was there. You yeah. know, we've all done that at certain yeah, gigs. Yeah. I was at that gig. And like, I can't, I was at loads of amazing gigs. I can't remember a thing about them. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but you get to say, oh yeah, I did that. I, I've been there. I've well, seen you had that. Shit time when you was there. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're, out, you're outside from like like most punk gigs. Everyone stood outside for most of the night. So mm-hmm. as long as you can say you were there, then that <laughs> seems to be the most important thing. Like it doesn't matter if you saw a note of music or whatever. But yeah, I think to see, I think we all kind of romanticised the kind of past a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it would be weird fun gigs. So on that, then what what type of newer stuff are you are you into? What, what well, I'm to listen to at the minute? Uh, listen, oh, I've got me, I've got me Spotify up here. This is probably where I'm making <laughs> myself look a knobhead here. Let me have a little look. If it's like mine, it'll all be Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is. Oh, this is. This probably doesn't give a, give a very good indication of what I listen. In fact, it doesn't. Uh, this is what I was listening to at about one o'clock in the morning, when I, I couldn't sleep. It, well, I couldn't sleep because I was listening to. Urban Discipline by Biohazard <laughs> and Foul Taste of Freedom by Propane Four of a Kind by DRI so there's why I couldn't sleep what else just loads of DRI I don't even really listen to DRI that much but there's loads of DRI uh, The Great Cat 
don't know if you're familiar with her, but just bananas. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not that's generally not what I'm listening to at the minute. Uh, I'm listening to um, uh, yeah, there's is a couple here. Uh, Haley and the Crushers. That's what I've been listening to that record quite a bit at the minute. Uh, been listening to a lot of like uh, Zydeco Cajun music. Like What's that? A, it's like kind of like Louisiana Deep South you know, accordion-led oh. old stuff. Like, a lot of it is in, like, Cajun, Pigeon, French. So a lot of it's not even is, English. Is that band, is it the Pine Horn, Pine Hill Horn, Horns? Are they that type of style? Yeah, I think they are. I think they're a bit slightly more broad. Um, but, yeah, they're influenced by that kind of stuff for sure. But I've been listening to, like, there's... I mean, I know Spotify pay everyone like about a quarter of a penny for every pay. Uh, not even that, really. They pay people yeah. next to nothing. But one of the good things about it is that there's just like loads and loads of really good old music on it. So it's not just about like, you know, what's going on now. So I found out like loads of like these old artists like uh, the Balfour Brothers and uh, Cliff and Chenier and stuff like that. Who these like guys from the 50s and before. I think Balfour Brothers are like, 30s or 40s or something like that and Cliff and Shane is the 50s up to the 80s and it's just all this like French Canadian uh, French uh, Cajun Zydeco stuff you know all waltzes in French with accordions and it's, that's, that's what I've been like when I can't think of anything to listen to which is mad considering you've got like every song ever written at your fingertips these days and you're like wondering well, what should I listen to today but when I can't think of anything to listen to I'll listen to like the Balfour Brothers or something like that. It's like this cage and stuff, but um, like punk stuff. Um, like this band called Local Drags who I've been listening to this week. Still listen to like the band called Downtown Struts who kind of like probably made the best melodic punk record of the past like 10 years or so like that. I listen to their album quite a bit. But I still listen to like, you know, I've got like Exodus here. I still listen to Heavy Metal, John Zorn, and then some classical stuff as well. So it's, it's a bit of a hodgepodge, really, but yeah. I'm, as I was saying earlier on, I'm trying to get out of just listening to the, the same like four albums that I just, yeah. you, know, you stick on. You just get into ruts, don't you, when you listen to yeah. music and you listen to the same stuff all the time. I'm trying to like get out of that and listen to new stuff or getting into old stuff, but unfortunately, as I say last night, that meant like dipping into biohazard and propane and and just all the garbage like that. So. That's the, the downside. Everyone, so like, everyone looks back really well at um, like Biohazard, don't they? Everyone yeah. Everyone really respects that. Like, um, um, that Urban Discipline record was massive, I think, in certain circles, definitely. Like, that was a good crossover record and that, you know, it, from like, I don't know, but it, I mean, it is kind of ridiculous when you look at them, especially, and you listen to it. It's like, it's just a cartoon, really, cartoon band, but there's some good riffs on that record, I've got to say. <laughs> I mean, it's good, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm trying to listen. To, I mean, what you should do, you should. Uh, I don't know whether you do it already, but you should uh, be putting playlists together. Well, that's, that's what like we normally that. ask the oh. the guests. Um, normally ask if they can, you know, put together a playlist for us. Um, if I do that, there'll be no biohazard. About oh, you can put biohazard on. You send us a few bands. I I do the Spotify playlist. So you send us some stuff, and I'll stick it on the playlist. Yeah, I'll do that yeah. for sure. Like, and that, that we, kinda... we were first gonna do like a desert desert island discs, but then oh, like, yeah. when when no that type of approach, but then we had Kelly on, and Kelly just talks, and there was no time to put like bands in. 
Yeah. <laughs> so we thought we'll just do it as a playlist instead. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good idea. I think that that's cool because I mean, that definitely mean I've got to put a little bit of effort in and look. I've actually, you know, what I'm listening to instead of like this garbage yeah. that I'm listening to at one o'clock in the morning for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's always that's the thing. It's there's always like a there's always a new favorite band. That's what kind of keeps me up at night. Really, is like thinking there's. Um, there's amazing music out there I know there is and like my next favourite band is out there somewhere how yeah. do I find them which is kind of like the flip side of like you know or the downside of how easy it is to put music out now like anyone I could make a song on my phone now. you don't even need a recording studio do it on your phone you can put it out on Spotify and there you go it's released to the world but you know the downside of that is how, how do people find that yeah. so that's kind of like that's me thing at the minute. I was like, oh, I'd, how am I going to find this next band that I've fallen in love with? But they're out there somewhere. And you just gotta, yeah. I guess you just got to put the effort in. you got to want to find them. It's hard though, isn't it? Especially with there being no gigs because I always used to get into new bands by seeing them. I, you know, I, don't, I don't go to half as many gigs as I should, but when I did, yeah. I'd always find a new band that I'd like. Which is cool. I mean, can you, even, can you even remember the last gigs that you that you went to? And like, I can't even remember the last time I saw a band. I think mine was Jawbreaker. Oh, did you go to that? Was it good? Yeah, it's. I seen Tom there as well. Yeah, I knew Tom went there. Yeah, that's mad. Like, that's good. I mean, we did. um, uh, I mean, this is kind of like probably where I'm at with with age. Instead of putting bands on now, I've been putting films on. So we, like, (laughs) my partner Sarah, she she's got a cafe, and we end we end up putting the Jawbreaker documentary on in the cafe. It's like in a little event. So like, where's the cafe? Uh, it's on Old Haymarket it's, so it's like just next to the uh, the Birkenhead Tunnel just to the side of the Love Locks it's called it's a cafe so we've done like little we've done like acoustic gigs and it's like a small space we can't really have too much in there We although we did we did like one gig on like a Gay Pride uh, day when there was that march in town all yeah. that, a couple of years ago we did like a, a live band in, in there and it was wild like it was good it's only a small space but generally we do like acoustic gigs and then we've done some films and stuff like that did like the L7 documentary and the Joe Baker documentary and stuff like that so yeah so it's That's easier sick. putting on putting on a film is easier than putting on a band definitely Yeah, those days are gone I think <laughs> Sign of the times, right? <laughs> um, has anyone else got any? Think they want to add? I've got. Some, I mean, I, I'd say is that you like it's good that you're doing this. Like it's it's um, you know, it's good that you're just doing something positive. I know, like it's probably going to be a long time before things are really back to normal and bands are out and playing. And so I think it's just really good that you're doing something constructive. You know, it's like. Matches, thank you. I th- yeah, I think like like doing podcasts and stuff like that is like the probably the equivalence of you know people doing fanzines. I mean, not that there's like you can't do a fanzine these days, but I think it's aesthetically, I think it's 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 ticking a lot of the same boxes as you know yeah. doing your own fanzine 15, 20 years ago. Now you can do a podcast, and yeah. it's uh, you know I think it's yeah you should definitely keep it open. What the hope is that. The newer kids will be listening to it and be hearing stuff and be like, oh, I want that for myself, do you know what I mean? Or this is how they got gigs and this is how they started a record label, this is how they did that, I'm, I'm going to do that myself. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like there's, there's no gigs at the minute to keep that ticking over, to keep people interested, to keep people wanting to do that. So it's kind of like, well, what's the other option we've got at the minute? And it's, 
Yeah, it's just. It's good. I mean, it's just. If it, only, if it only if it starts one person, only if it makes one person start a band, then it's been successful. I think I think it, it's going to be interesting to some people. Like I've I've just been talking here for about two hours or whatever it is, and it's yeah, it's. I mean, I've been boring myself. I can't imagine anyone else being interested in any of this garbage. But I am like I listen to this. I listen to any old crap on the podcast. So I <laughs> I I find this kind of stuff interesting when it's somebody else that I don't know. So I imagine there'll be someone out there who kind of like you know, just like a, a typical nerd like us who gets into bands and gets into the minute of being in the band and, and stuff like that. I'm sure someone somewhere might kind of find it interesting. Like, well, I think you're there. There's a lot of good scope for some guests. I think, I yeah. think there's a lot of, a lot of interesting people from our part of the world. Yeah, definitely. And especially from, especially from that 90, like mid nineties. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, th- yeah, there's a lot, you should definitely try and speak to people who've got a better memory than me. There's people out there, like I was saying, be good to chat to Mount there. I remember lots. Yeah, well, Nancy, usually, Foxy, usually by getting prompted, I can start remembering stuff by getting prompted or seeing a flyer or whatever, but I get mixed up you know, with the um, the chronology of stuff. Like I always yeah. figure, oh, what year was that or whatever. But there's, yeah, there's lots of people out there I think you could, you could chat to from, you know, way back, going even probably a bit, younger than us as well a bit more modern as well there's lots of people you could have a gab to and and uh, yeah long may it continue keep keep it up cheers thank you thank, well thank you for um, joining in no thank problem for, for giving us uh, two hours of your, of your evening <laughs> it's alright I'm just made up to talk to someone I, I haven't spoken to anyone for 15 months so it's it's been interesting, you know what I mean. I think I'll I'll leave it another fifteen months before I, I before talk to anyone. I think I've else. spoken enough. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> you've fluffed up my ego enough to last me another fifteen months. I think so. That'll uh, that'll do me. Yeah. Well, if you could let us have like like about ten song playlist or something. Yeah, um, I'll get, what I'll we normally get say is like is either to help you talk about it was either to help you take you through like your punk. Um, punk hardcore like journey and that you know yeah or things that you remember most like especially as more close and memories as best as possible yeah yeah absolutely I'll, I'll get that together over the next day, day or so, so expect I'll... to see a, a pansy division song on it absolutely yeah they've got loads of belters them like they're uh, yeah they were eye opener when they came out definitely they <laughs> yeah. they were good but uh, yeah no problem I'll uh, I'll share that with you no problem and it'll be kind of yeah. interesting for me to you know revisit a few songs and listen to a few oldies and oldies but goldies I think so yeah no problem but yeah thanks for asking us and well, yeah it's been a pleasure thanks for agreeing to be on nah he's been boss cheers lads <laughs> cheers. nice one much appreciated no problem I'll speak to you soon we all done see you later yeah. yeah nice one boys I'll speak to you soon see you later yeah. bye bye, bye.
swing to the right, tax relief for the rich, redundancies for the poor, mass unemployment, poverty, curtailing of freedom, starting with the unions. It's all heading for one thing and one thing only, a fascist dictatorship and a police state. So, we think that Tom's fallen asleep. <laughs> Can you hear them? No, I've totally fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> this is boss. It was just a little bongos then. Whoa, that was me. <laughs> Was I snoring then? You also snoring. Just, <laughs> just breathing. <laughs> Sorry. I did wake a night shift on um, Sunday. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. <laughs>